Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapiro, and with me... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. Look at us. Are we not proof that there is no good, no evil, no truth, no reason? Are we not proof that the universe is a drooling idiot with no fashion sense? Uh, Alan Moore's diary? Close, Mr. Nobody from the Brotherhood of Dada. Makes sense, makes yeah. sense. So it's going to Morrison's diary. Thematically appropriate. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a comic book. Comic Book Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Seekworts, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews, previews, and critique. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. And remember, we're also on Patreon, support smart criticism and comics. So there's been a lot of news Hasn't ever since we've recorded. It's like, as the- soon as Chip left, mm-hmm. everyone was like, okay, now they're not busy, let's hit them. <laughs> uh, shall we start with actual comics, comic yeah, news? by all means. So, uh, Young Animal? Yeah. So, during the Emerald City Comic Con, uh, DC has announced that Jared Way, uh, for, is it, is it formerly or is he still in a band? I think he's actually still L- in that band. Leader, but emo has sort yeah, of- singer, lead singer and leader of the band My Chemical Romance and former comic book writer for Dark Horse. He did the two parts, uh, Umbrella Academy and The Mar- True Lives of the, the Fabulous, Fabulous Killjoys, Kill right? Uh, he's gonna Which, be. Which, by the way, <laughs> was not as good. The album was good. I wouldn't know. Mm, I I would. Uh, anyway, it's been announced by DC that Way would be the head of a new DC sub imprint for adults called Young Animals, which seems to be aiming to be sort of 1989 pr- proto Vertigo stuff. By which hmm. it means it's not outside of continuity. It's not officially outside of continuity. It's not about creating different properties. It's about taking existing uh, DC universe. Characters and ideas and sort of twisting them around. So right. when you well, add Grant Morrison, actual books once they're yeah, yeah. But when you add Grant Morrison's Animal Man, you know Ellen Moore's Swamp Thing, Peter Milligan's Shade the Changing Man. Hmm. So it's that kind of thing, which sort of begs the question: What's happening with Vertigo? Well, before we get to Vertigo, I want to say a few things about this particular imprint because mm-hmm. I read this announcement. Also, twice. he's managing that. Yeah, he's, and he's curating ri- it, and he's writing like two titles by himself, and one more he's. Helping to write, so he's. Got, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Right. He's he's like super busy guy. Right. Apparently, the way that DC have defined his role here is that they actually didn't mention that he was writing too. What the press release said specifically was that he would be writing Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. and in addition to that, he would be providing quote creative direction for the other three. No, he's CC. He's co-writing uh, Cave Carson Hayes. Has a cybernetic eye, which okay. is a great title. It, it is Cave Carson title. has a cybernetic eye. Eye, and eye, eye. You have to have the echo at the end. That's eye. the thing. Eye. Um, so, okay. Obviously, we'll discuss this, these books in much greater detail once they're actually solicited. Yes. Um, but this announcement, we'll get to the implications of Vertigo because I absolutely want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But when they announced this, it seemed so weird to me because what happened was in practical terms this announcement was pretty much overshadowed by rebirth right rebirth was the big noisy well they've uh, waited a bit after the rebirth they let it sit for a little bit and then they brought out young animal now we were complaining about or i was at least complaining in rebirth that it was basically musical chairs Hmm. and that dc did not have a whole lot of new talent to be applying to the books that they're actually trying to push. Because, you know, when you're talking about imprints, you remember Minx, right? I do. You remember, what was the name of the one that launched Runaway? Tsunami. Yes. These things don't work. Because you create sort of these little ghettos for books that are not being published as 
the main DC mm-hmm. books, right? The highlights of the line. That's still Superman, Batman. Yeah. I, Roman, I've actually like read most of the Minx books. They were both ahead of their time yeah. and subpar at the I'm same time. I'm not saying anything about yeah. the quality of the text because Lord knows, I mean, I loved uh, Regifters, mm-hmm. which was my carry. And the, the Plain Janes I thought was great. They had some really strong titles. I'm not saying that they didn't. Uh, the New York Four was also a good read. But at the same time, why did these books ultimately sell? Uh, not sell, or rather, why is there no more DC Minx line? Why is there no more Wildstorm? It's because when you create these little boxes in today's market and you try to define them as, you know, Way's words for defining this title was that it's comics for dangerous humans. I have no idea what that means, except that it's clearly he's still in his emo phase, and that is fine. That phase gave us Umbrella Academy, and I am here for it. But the question that immediately popped into my mind is, if you had Jared Way, and you had all of these new voices, and they are new, like these are not people who have been strongly associated with DC prior to that, right? If you have these characters, why did you not put them on the Rebirth titles? Why did you not define your company trying to go in a new direction by actually having new talent? Instead, you sh- you sort of shove them off to their own little box. And I have no doubt that some of these books will be good because Doom Patrol to me seems like a natural fit for Way's style of writing. Yep. Based on what he's done so far, it seems to make sense to me. And Lord knows the Doom Patrol could use another good run because it's been a while. I just don't understand why you would box them in like that. Well, it allows them to have their cake and eat it, right? Because then they can say, well, we publish all these diverse comics which are not for mainstream readers, right? You wanted all the different stuff. Well, here it is. And still allows them to keep this DC universe sort of as, as it were, meat and potato-y. But that argument doesn't even, it would have made sense 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Now I don't understand it because every time they talk about their meat and potatoes, the natural counter argument is, okay, but you have already acknowledged that the meat and potatoes don't work because you rebooted the meat and potatoes. You had the whole stunt thing to get rid of that in the first place. Why are you coming back to it again? I mean, could you imagine, like, if they had announced instead of Tom King on Batman, and again, we are not saying anything bad about Tom King. Nope. We love him. Not yet. But <laughs> could you imagine if they had announced that it would be Jared Way's Batman? That would have at least been something that you're saying, you know what? I don't know what that looks like. Well, see, we would say it's interesting, but most of the readers of the potential readers of Batman would be like, Jared who? The guy who does. But who they're jumping that? ship anyway. Sales are tanking for comics across the board. So well, clearly. Aside, aside from Batman. Aside from Batman, yeah. sure. But clearly, like, if the readers are that invested in who's writing and who's not, it they, doesn't seem to have bothered them mm-hmm. so far. Well, I think what's important and interesting about this is that by establishing it as a sub-imprint, they allow themselves more leeway with the head managers re- regarding sales. Sure. Because if a DC Universe title will be selling, as most Vertigo, Vertigo titles do, less than 15,000 copies a month, it's a gunner, right? It's yeah. a gunner within the first issue. was press. Yeah, but once they announce this is like a sub-imprint for adults, they basically build themselves more leeway for it. Yeah, this could sell, you know, 10,000, 12,000 a month and we'll be happy as long okay. as the actual titles will become evergreen, which the original Vertigo they might. titles... They might. Hopefully they will be. Yeah. But uh, re-Vertigo. Yes. So Vertigo, sales-wise, have been taking a beating over the last few years ever since uh fables 
No, who left? Uh, oh, Karen Burr. Ever since Karen yeah. Burr, and we we won't talk about it lengthily, but she found job, found a job apparently. Did she? She's with Image. Hallelujah! Yeah, she she was part of the she was there at the Image Expo, and she was part of the title announcement. I okay. So see, what happened was mm-hmm. that I skipped over the Image Expo because you know how Image Expos are. I'm gonna get hyped out of a, about a book that's gonna come out in 2020, yes. and I'm not gonna remember. Snap Girl finally solicited one year later. I don't know what that is. But the you're Bradley telling me Karen Berger is at Image yeah. now? <laughs> Praise the, Jesus. The, the, what the, can the, I the, say? The takeover is complete, right? Thank Zinu, right? So, but really, it's Vertigo has been, has a big problem. Like you said, ever since Berger left, ever since Fables, they haven't found the title that's going to be like the leader, the leader of the pack. Yeah. Vertigo has always had, you know, one, two big titles running at the time and then a bunch of ancillary titles, which are... It doesn't help that they took mm-hmm. Constantine out. You could have at least said that Hellblazer ran for 300 issues at Vertigo. That is not a small feat by any chance and had work by some of, you know, some really noteworthy people. Peter the Milligan, best of the Mike British. Gary, uh, Denise Mina showed up at some point. Who asked? I don't know, but you know, there she was. You had that book and then they moved it over to DC and correct me if I'm wrong, it hasn't been doing that great at DC. No. Certainly, I don't think it, it even survived has, a reboot. It hasn't been doing great in DC levels. It's yeah. been doing okay for a Vertigo title. So that might be part yeah. of the problem. Like they but, took Vertigo concepts and tried to apply them to DC. Which, again, fine by me, but they haven't found their big leader. And I think the recent Vertigo launch had some very interesting stuff. Sheriff Babylon is great. Again, Tom King. Uh, Last Gang in Town is interesting, but it's not the question of whether I or some of my friends like it. It's a question of whether they become the sort of evergreen immediate classics that the other Vertigo books will buy. Will people 10 years from now still be clamoring for the Sheriff of Babylon in trade form as they do Sandman, as they did Fables, Why the Last Man, Transmetropolitan? Mm. Ever since Image sort of reformed itself as the home for genre readers who yeah. want genre stuff which is not superheroes... Vertigo has sort of lost its shine mm-hmm. because they, they can't offer creator own uh, contracts. Mm-hmm. They can't compete with the different possibilities of genres because like image can do science fiction and they can do fantasy and they don't feel the need to segregate them. In terms and of fortunately for the creators, unfortunately for us, image t- uh, deadline demands are not as tight as Vertigo. They really don't. Care. Yeah. V- Vertigo is like, you it know, frustrates it, the hell out of us. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah mm-hmm. Vertigo is you, you do a monthly. Right. And image is like, you do whatever you want. It's your book. You know, if it fails, it's your problem, not ours. And Vertigo has also been having problems. And this, I don't know if this is related to Berger's departure or if the problem started beforehand, but Vertigo has also had trouble pulling in authors from the main DC line to do their own thing at Vertigo, which used to be part of the appeal. You could have at least said, okay, uh. No, they still, they're still doing it, but you know, ever some. since. What was it, the Snyder stuffs? The Wake? The Wake, yeah. The Wake and American Vampire. Yeah. Well, American Vampire is still ongoing. Mm. But I mean... Yeah, but nowadays when a major... exception. D- or, or Kurt Music with Astro yeah. City. And then now when a major DC talent wants to do a, you know, a creator-owned book... Like, they, see ya. Yeah, they go to Image. Even, even Snyder, who's signed an exclusive contract with DC, which is still ongoing, right? I think so. So... <laughs> You know, it's the exclusive is well, don't work for Marvel. But, that's what it means. But that's always what it meant. Yeah, yeah. Even before you remember, like even before Image became what Image is now, when DC and Marvel first started having their little exclusive thing and exclusive Gail Simone War, yeah. and Jeff Johns and all that, it was always 
exclusive, but you can also go work at Dark Horse. Yeah, because at that time nobody cared about the sales of Dark Horse. Yeah, but now nowadays, now that image is an actual threat. Yeah, nowadays when you sign exclusive, you should probably say, "Hey, hey, do you create your own stuff here?" Even Marvel for a long time, their exclusive contracts were, "If you want to do create your own stuff, well, that's why Icon exists." Yeah, and that's Although why. In, in, but there you go, right? Yeah, like, Icon exists. Well, and they kept for Mark Miller. Yeah, and they and ke- Brian Bendis. Well, they kept Ed Brubaker for a long time by basically allowing him to do Criminal there with Phillips, and they kept Brian Bendis forever by allowing him to do Powers. Kept, there. he's staying there. Well, you he's know, you know again, we don't like Bendis. Bendis is no. a big seller for Marvel. They, yeah, they're happy to have him. But I think he's happy to be there too. Like, yeah. there's no the the sense is that. Image really is representing as well. because it's not only that, it's the feeling that image don't particularly care about a certain standard of quality. And I'm not saying this, this to disparage them, but it's not like they require all of their creators to meet this standard, right? Mm. They're like, you're a creator. We do creator own stuff. If we know who you are and you want to do something with us, we don't care. Do whatever you want. And sometimes you get surprises at that. We were talking to Chip Zdarsky. Uh, in the previous episode, saying that he had no idea that sex criminals would sell, like get past issue six. Because when you describe it to someone, it doesn't seem like the sort of book that would... Appeal to a large segment of the audience. And and maintain that interest over a long period of time. And yet it did. So clearly they're okay with being riskier when it comes to concepts, and I don't think that Vertigo has Yeah, again, image can can allow itself to be riskier because the company loses nothing. If a book loses money, most of the time it's the creators lose money, unless it's a sub-apron like Shadow... Shadow Line. Shadow Line, in which Jim Valentino, you know, he said he loses money for every issue of uh, Peter Panzerfaust when they publish it. No, Peter Panzerfaust wasn't Shadow Line. It was the main main book. Shadow Line... I mean, Shadow Line is publishing Rat Queens. So clearly they... No, Rat Queens doesn't lose money. No, No, that's hard to say. Uh, All the delays and all might be another story. Think Tank might... Think possibly think well no Shadowline defines itself mostly by f- or oh, might have been Umbral because it's mostly fantasy stuff mm-hmm. in Shadowline well uh, what, so whatever yeah, the, the case may be it, it is sort of concerning I think that yeah. Young Animal is getting this the question push. Is, do, you, do you think Vertigo is that's the end of Vertigo it's like DC no. is launching it and they will let Vertigo just die off and after the recent run of new series they would cancel it I mean realistically speaking if they wanted to get rid of Vertigo they could have just done it after Burger left like mm-hmm. Her departure would have been the most natural point for Dan DiDio to be like, okay, uh, we're reconfiguring whatever, and they had convergence well, at like that, more at, or less at, at the same yeah, time. At that point, they they still hoped, obviously, that Ver- New Vertigo would be a big success. You that Bond, launch, Yeah, that Shelly Bond could make it sing, but no answer to Shelly Bond. The, the, the big titles and the public appreciation just isn't there right now. Yeah. And, you know, comic book companies were never good about killing sub-imprints. The Ultimate Line survived, I think, five years oh, after it should have... Wildstorm survived like again yeah. like five years after somebody should have just put it out of its misery. So you know, if Vertigo dies, I would be sad and like, oh, that's some of my favorite comics. But you know, the comics are still there. Yeah. If if DC and they're not, if they were still being published, Vertigo wouldn't be in the situation. Yeah. That no, it's no. In. But you know, if DC cancels Vertigo, it's not like oh well, we're no longer printing Sandman. It just might reprint yeah. Sandman. You know, the seven hundred and forty version of Sandman would be with. Either DC or Young Animals on the Spine exactly. instead of Vertigo. Snyder would take American Vampire over to Image. Um, or Young Animal or whatever. Kurt Busiek started Astro City at Image. Astro City, I think, where was Helix? I don't... There, like, the first volume. I don't remember where it I think it from. was Image. So, I mean... Wildstorm, even? I don't know. It jumped, like, five yeah. billion publishers. And it's still alive. Yeah. So... 
it's you like, know, like, like these rude. creators based because they like, like again, mm-hmm. the, the drawback with image is that the creators who get that kind of leeway are the ones who have reputations. Mm-hmm. Kurt Busiek and Snack, mm, Kurt Busiek and Scott Snyder could take their books elsewhere and just leave Vertigo. Yeah. And then what would happen afterwards? Well, we'll see what they happens. They could just shut the doors. But yeah. then I think that would be an explicit admission of defeat on yeah. DC's part. And, and again, I don't think that Young Animal is that. I don't think that they're admitting Vertigo doesn't work by starting this imprint. Because this imprint, to be completely honest, seems to just be a way for them to give way an ego boost. Like, it's not just that he's writing the title, it's that it's his creative Wei, direction. Way's journey in the comic book kingdom is one of the weirdest things ever, yeah. because he was started <laughs> as an intern at DC or Marvel, was it? I think it was DC. I think it was DC and wanted to break into comics, but nobody let him, so he was like, well, then I guess I'll become an international rock star, and then he bargained that fame to become a comic book writer, yeah. which is like Benjamin Disraeli wrote tons of successful novels, simply so he could <laughs> finance his campaign for the Prime Minister of England. Yeah. So uh, I and just that, compared Jerry to Benjamin Disraeli. But I mean, it is interesting. Like, when you look at the sort of things that he was writing, the fact that he got published at Dark Horse should have come as no surprise to anyone because Umbrella Academy, and this is obviously like a huge part of it was the art. Yeah. But also the way that he wrote those characters and the way that he wrote those two miniseries was note perfect for Dark Horse. It was... It was Hellboy-esque. Hmm. Like, you know, the weird, offbeat sort of thing. So clearly, he knows what he's doing. I'm not concerned about the quality of the Young Animals books. I just don't understand why they're not leading the flagship titles. Yeah. Because this is what... Like, if DC wants to try something new, that's going to work. DCU fails for all kinds of different reasons. But the meat and potatoes thing has failed as well. So I don't know. It's it'll it'll be interesting. I'm mm. looking forward to many of these books. I have more expectations from DC than I do from Marvel at this point, which that just tells you where we are, right? Mm. And as for Vertigo, best of luck. Yeah, and other comic book news. North Carolina is full of problems, Tom. Okay, uh, full go ahead. of problems, but not as many problems as Ruth Fletcher Gage. Mm. Let's take it from the top, okay? So, North Carolina recently passed a law, the quote-unquote bathroom law, that is meant to discriminate against transgender people using the bathrooms that are associated to the gender that they are currently... Registered as? No, not registered. It's like, in their, in if your you are ID. transgender from female to male, you are expected to use the male bathroom... Like, in any other sane environment. In North Carolina, you would have to use the female bathroom, even if that wasn't your current... Yeah. Uh, like, that, if that's not who your current identity. Oh, it's so complicated to get into these no, things. No, no, it's but simple. And the, the legislators in North Carolina are bigoted assholes. Pretty much. It, it's Really, it's simple. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I hesitate to, like, go into, like, politics and all of those. Yeah, but it, it is complex. In this case, but we this both is, agree. And, oh, yeah. And the law itself is pretty simple and pretty stupid. And not only that, we have Bruce Spring- Springsteen on our side. So I think we're okay. Okay. In terms of moral uh, positions. But one of the consequences of this is that HeroesCon, which is a apparently a very popular convention in North Carolina started getting cancellations from 
people who had signed up to attend, one of whom was Joe Harris. Joe Harris said that because this law had been passed, he didn't feel comfortable traveling to North Carolina and, you know, buying, paying for a hotel room, paying for transportation. Basically, it's, it's a boycott. And it, it, I don't know if it's a boycott. Well, and, and let's be clear, it's not only comic book people. Disney have announced oh, yeah. that they're pulling some of their uh, photography crews from... Di- Disney has tremendous power. Mm-hmm. There are porn sites that have blocked North Carolina. The I walking, have a feeling... The Walking Dead announced that they will stop shooting in North Carolina yeah. if they don't change the law. Basically, it's like a domino effect. Yeah. It's one thing after the other. But where it concerns comics specifically is Heroes Con because mm-hmm. it became sort of a flashpoint for a very interesting and somewhat terrifying debate that, of course, happened on social media. Well, yeah. So what happened was that Harris announced on his Facebook page that he wouldn't be going to Heroes Con. Not because he was boycotting Heroes Con itself, but rather because the process of attending that convention would mean that he gave tourist arrangements and financial support to North Carolina. And that wasn't what he wanted to do. In comes Ruth Fletcher Gage, Christos Gage's wife. She writes for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show? She She wrote... She was one of the writers of the first season of Daredevil. Oh, There's okay. a whole other story there mm-hmm. about how Micah Ian Wright of... Misha Ian Wright, no? I'm pretty sure it's Micah. Okay. Of uh, Stormwatch yeah. fame, or infamy, we should say, for a... Right yeah. Now, said something about how he liked season two more than season one, and she lost her mind. But that is a different discussion. What happened here was that Gage spoke out against Harris's position, pointing out, and rightly so, at least initially, that Heroes Con itself is pro-LGBT. And that by boy, essentially boycotting the event without declaring that specifically, like if you're not going to North Carolina, you're not going to the convention either, you would be denying them resources to continue whatever efforts they're making in order to change the law. Harris said, you know, I respect that position, but... I still do, like it's a con- it's a it's a situation of conscience for him. Like he does not feel it, it's he felt it's a no-win situation, yeah. and he chose to avoid because that was not the best option, but the least bad yeah. option. You know, it sucks that Heroes Con takes the hit because they didn't do anything wrong, but at the same time, mm-hmm. that's the larger statement being made. Yeah, that's his position. All up until this point, everything was fine. And then Gage went completely off the rails. She blamed Barack Obama, because of course she does. She blamed Bernie Sanders. She threatened people who disagreed with her that she was taking screen captures of the conversation and that one day she would run for office and have like this cache of screen captures. Okay, um... Just generally making a fool of herself. Now, see, and my problem is that a lot of the debate about the Joe Harris's decision and Heroes Con in North Carolina became because it's social media about. It became Ruth, a meme. No, it became about Ruth Gage, which, and then she threatened to sue people for making her a meme. But see, here's the thing: some of it is a bit smells a bit a whiff of the tone argument being used. Oh, how dare you be so angry and passionate about it? Because even if you ignore it. Even if you ignore the stupidity of how she announced some of these things, there is a debate that needs to be held about, well, what do you do in this situation? Now, we both live in Israel. 
we know what's uh, social boycott. We know financial boycotts. We know academic boycotts. And mm. we know that comic creators will refuse to come to Israel. Well, one, because there isn't hardly any culture here. And B, because they disagree with Israeli politics. Which and, is fair enough. And it's it's an argument that needs to be made. And there's never a clear answer of, well, when you come in, do you... Is by coming, you're helping the good side, you're, you're giving support, you're exchanging ideas, or are you just approving bad ideas by paying for them, you know, paying for the country that holds them? Yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, like I said, this debate started by both sides making valid points. Mm-hmm. It is an absolute shame that, and I mean, you're saying the tone argument, but I'm like, again, she explicitly said her first response was, I blame Barack Obama. It's like, okay... We see what you're doing, and it's just it just went on to be this complete detachment from reality. Alish Cote came in yeah, and but, started talking about physics, yeah, but aren't and counter effects we, no, no, and no, no, particles. No. But aren't we by talking about this side of the debate rather than the actual debate itself contributing to the lack of education, to the lack of understanding? Well, because if we turn it into the uh, root gauge uh, hour of interest, well, well what's no, the point? This, this oh, I mean, listen, you know me. You know I love it when comics creators get messy and do all kinds I, of nonsense. I, I because, hate it. Because I laugh. I did. Like, I I read that thread. I saw the back and forth. And I just chortled for a good couple of minutes. Having had that amusement, though, does not change the fact that this is absolutely a debate that needs to happen. And it was something that did not come to any kind of resolution or understanding because Gage went off the rails. What? Harris was saying... You know, he knows the people who organize Heroes Con. It sucks for him. He's not happy about boycotting this. This wasn't a situation where he's throwing a party, right? But at the same time, Gage's initial point that, you know, you're essentially sabotaging the people you want to support by inadvertently calling for a larger boycott. Yeah. But there, that's all she had to offer. So the question then, like, I would turn that question to you and say, having established those talking points, what would you do in Harris's situation? Well, I would be a hypocrite if I would tell that, you know, boycotting was okay, considering that I live in Israel, I disagree with 99.9% of Israel foreign policy and even non-foreign policy right now, but I still want, you know, I still want creators to come here, I want, I want comics shipped here if... Diamond said, well, we're, we're boycotting Israel. I, I would be angry about it. But that, so for me to say, well, then Joe Harris should uh, go with his belief and boycott North Carolina, I would be a hypocrite. So I well, can't. Well, there's a I, difference, I think, in that the specific objection here isn't one of cultural interpretation or, or, I mean, this was a, this is a situation in which what Harris is protesting specifically, right? This isn't sort of like a general, I'll never set foot in North Carolina again. This was a statement of him saying, because of this discriminatory law against transgenders, like that is the specific thing. When you're talking about like Israeli boycotts, it tends to be like, we just don't like the whole thing. All well, no, some of it is the whole thing. Like some of it is, no, no, some of it is, you know, we, we, we object to certain policy okay. decisions. But, but again, like you, you, do you think that Harris's decision was morally valid? Is a question um, because Gage again, is, is like it morally the, valid? Yes. Is it the choice that I would have made? I assume no. It's morally valid because you know choosing to disengage in a hostile environment 
in an environment that you consider hostile and that by and engaging to not reward yeah. a government that passes these laws. Yeah. I think was was where he was yeah. going with that. Um Someone did bring up an interesting possibility, though, which Harris, by that point, just wasn't interested in responding. Well, anyways. yeah, after this, this because Gage the, was the quote-unquote discussion. Yeah, I okay. would be tired. Too. I was tired by reading. You know, <laughs> the first half of it just gave me the oh my! It was God. delicious. I, um, I wish I had had popcorn handy. Uh, but someone did bring up why not use Uber? Uber, you know, is a private uh, institution. You would not be paying North Carolina specifically. Well, I'm you sorry. could go to uh, like LGBT. Um, friendly association, you could crash or at hotels. Some, yeah, you, know, like, you, you could go to private institutions that are not government owned. Well, and, and set up your your visit here on that way. And there's also the oft raised idea of well, you're working for Marvel Comics sometimes, and you're not by No, having, Harris doesn't have anything to do. No, with he Marvel he, he used to. Yeah, you you worked with and for organizations whose owners were and are. Shady people, right? As if one needed reasons to boycott Marvel. Let's be realistic. No, but you're not, you're not calling to people don't buy Marvel, even though, you know, Art Palmer has his opinions and his money contributions to people who are as savory as the North Carolina legislators. Perlmutter is a Trump, like, let's call it what it is. Perlmutter is a Trump supporter. Yeah. Okay. But you pointed out when we talked about that last time, that's his private money. I don't have to agree with it, but I'm not going to Nazi civil war because of Ike Perlmutter, especially since he's not benefiting from these movies anymore. They they sent yeah. him over to the well, TV. We, well, we've talked about You can search yeah, we, for we the episode. Yeah, we went into this whole Perlmutter yeah, thing these, already. It's, but it's one of those big discussions that doesn't yeah. really have an end to it. And no, I the, think the end point is ultimately like, you know, you have to do what you think is right. And Joe Harris is clearly doing what he thinks is right. And Gage, I guess, thinks she's right Yeah, while threatening people with screen captures. Yes. Okay, uh, you know, because there's no right answer here. Like, there's no evidence that increased uh, boycotting and financial damage, like Disney pulling out, The Walking Dead pulling out, uh, Bruce Springsteen canceling concerts and all of this. Like, it might have an effect, but at the same well, time... Well, if, if something will have an effect, it will be the Disney Walking oh, yeah. Dead, not Disney Joe Harris. Yeah. The porn sites also, like... What will they do with their free time? Because, you know, a lot of those politicians are freaky deeds. But anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It was a shame that the overall discussion sort of got lost. But at the same time, like you said, I don't know that there's a quote-unquote conclusion. At the end of the day, one of two things was going to happen. Harris was either going to maintain the position that he had or be convinced that he could go to Heroes Con in ways that would not support local tourism and, and, you know, give money to people that he doesn't want to give money to. It's sort of like, you know... um, it reminded me a lot of the conversation that came up with Orson Scott Card, right? When it became known that he was tithing parts of his earnings across the board to the National Organization of Marriage, people said, okay, we're not going to go see his movie. It sucks for all the people who were in the Ender's Game movie, which, from what I hear, wasn't that good in the first place. I saw it in theaters. It's not good. Okay. So, you, you know. You know, it's like, I thought about boycotting it, but then I decided, well, it looks bad anyway, so I'm just not going to watch it. Yeah. In in any event, but like that was a situation where you say, okay, here's something where you know that if you buy his book, part of your money is going to this cause. Now, if you don't agree with this cause, you are sort of obligated to not give him money. And well, then when he went to work it, yeah, for DC, it's like, it's like, okay, do you boycott DC for working? Yeah, it's, but you know, it's one of it's, those things that depends on how much, how strongly you feel about it. Because 
I assume that most vegetarians wouldn't boycott, you know, books by meat eaters knowing that some of that money will go to buy meat. Probably. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's like, where does it end? Yeah. Also? Because there's a it, chain of, of... Yeah, it's a question about every individual and what he feels is the big thing and what's the little thing. Because, you know, I, I, I buy a lot of stuff by writers and artists whose opinions politically and socially and whatever and I disagree fine. with. And I can assume... You know, it doesn't have to be so, but I can assume that part of this money goes in contribution form to, I don't know, some sort of candidate or an organization whose ideas are not my ideals. It's like you can't track your money once you spend it. Well, yeah. So you can, you can make a conscious decision, but if you're going to make a conscious decision about everything and anything There's that no you way. buy... Just lock yourself yeah, in a cave yeah, and you, don't you consume sort of, any you, media. Yeah, you sort of become paralyzed, right? Yeah. So... I don't know. I guess, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's too bad for Heroes Con because I, I have a feeling that Harris is not going to be the first one to do this. Hmm. Neither do I. But on the other hand, um, hopefully it'll work out for them, you know. Uh, next in comic book news, IDW has bought the international distribution rights for Oni Press. This is after them buying the international distribution rights for Archie Comics. So IDW is doing a slow takeover of the comic market and they own Top Shelf, right? They bought Top Shelf yeah. two years ago? One year ago? Uh, two years one, ago. No, no, one year. Yeah. One we year. talked about it on the podcast. So again, they, they didn't we buy... We are IDW, you will be assimilated. Yes, yes. They didn't buy the company yet. But, you know, <laughs> distribution rights for all of the vast, vast library of quality Ani stuff, you know... Uh, Queen and Country, Scott Pilgrim, Courtney Crumman, Six Gun, you know, mm-hmm. lots, lots of stuff which is not, you know, a huge seller but is pretty good in trades, right? Yeah, books like Courtney Crumman are constantly being referred to, like they're part of pop culture consciousness despite the fact that they don't sell that much. Mm, yeah. But, I mean, if we're talking about definitions of evergreen... Scott Pilgrim. Have, oh, yeah. I mean, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim and right? Queen and Country are evergreens as well. They should. So... Uh, it's one of those, I want to say good for them, but it's a bit worrisome when one company starts buying everything under the sun. Well, it can, it can go two ways. First of all, like I said to you before we started recording, I am accepting credit for this. I am going with the theory that you and I talked about IDW being a vapid license factory. Well, when and Ted well, Adams hearing us on the way home, when he's driving home, he's listening to the smorgasbord and he hears us talking about IDW like that and he's like, no. Call Top Shelf. We're taking all See, of this I, stuff. I've never said that. Ted. I love IW licenses. Before they started, like with the uh, with Gem and, and with all of these, like for, this new wave. Uh, for me, they did great stuff all the way, like five years back. You know, before the podcast was even a thing, I liked their Transformers comic. I liked their uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics. I liked their GI Joe comics. Right, but we what we were talking about at the time was that they are a license factory. Like, that they were not doing original material. And they're like, well, let's get Top Shelf. They do original stuff. And just what, in case what, you were still curious... What did happen to Top Shelf? Because I hardly see them anymore. Well, they're supposed to be existed like a substrata of IDW, but yeah. I, when you read, like, the solicits, the monthly previews... They you, don't turn up. Yeah. I don't... Well, I don't know what... Um, because Top Shelf's output was not... Was never, you know, great. Regular. They published like yeah. two free, uh, we're new talking graphic primarily novel. graphic novels. Yeah, two, f- two free new graphic novels a month. I don't think yeah. they ever did a monthly. Not that I can recall. No. So I, I guess maybe like they're 
building up to whatever it is that they were going to do anyway. Because they did say at the time that when IDW took over, they didn't restructure the company. Well, but they haven't published anything in a long while, or at least nothing that grabbed my attention. Yeah. And I'm usually a guy who pays attention to these kind of things. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So I'm assuming that next, like, now that they have the distribution rights, the next step will be to buy Oni Press. Well, I don't, I don't think Oni will sell itself so quickly. And Archie's... And then... They'll go for Fantagraphics. No, I don't, because Boom owns Archaea, so somebody else should buy Fantagraphics. <laughs> Dark Horse? Image? Um, who would be a good fit, though? Let's think about well, that for a second. They're not, they're, here's the thing, when, when you think Top Shelf IW is kind of the, not the last company <laughs> you think that would have been Xenoscape. You know, Zen, yeah. Xenoscape yeah. presents Fantagraphics would be an Or Avatar. Would, we don't want it. Like, uh, Xenoscape's classic women's comics. <laughs> Because <laughs> women's comics in Fantagraphics is one thing, and women's comics in Fan- in Xenoscape oh, is quite another. I feel unclean now. Oh, no. Um, Absolutely not. Movie news? Let's move on to movie news. So, Tom, this is something you know a lot uh, more about than well, I do. Well, I know. I, something I care about. Tim Miller, uh, director of the usually successful Deadpool movie, mm-hmm. has announced that the Goon animated movie that was in development seven years ago now? There was a um, demonstration tra- animated trailer that was released in 2008. We're talking CGI or yeah, yeah, traditional? Yeah, CGI. Okay. Uh, is not yet dead. Now, he didn't say... Only ba- mostly dead. Yeah, it's not, he didn't say uh, back on track. He didn't say we've starting production. He said it's not dead. Now, Tim Miller used to work for Blair, the animation company that de- was in development for the movie and that did the animated trailer, which is excellent, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this is how the goon should look like in movie form. Now, at that time, Tim Miller was just an animator, right? Nobody cared about him. But now when he's Tim Miller, director of the most successful R-rated movie in history, mm-hmm. people are listening. Add to that the recent drop of uh, R-rated only <laughs> animated movies, like, say, the Sausage Fest by Seth yep. Rogen. Which, mm-hmm. It looks terrible to me, but now that R-rated moves, success stories are a thing, now studios might be more open to the idea of, huh, a movie just for adults. Well, for a little. Not an adult movie. A movie just for adults. Let's be clear about that, yeah. though, right? Like a rated R CGI film. Yeah. It's now a possibility in, in the eyes of the producers. I hope Sausage Fest wouldn't kill it. I, because if the big new animated R rated movie is a bust, nobody will do anything. Well, it probably helps that Tim mm. Miller is a very patient man. I mean, how long was Deadpool in production? Again, like five years at least before they even started shooting. So I think he's like, when he says something's on the back burner, it's like, treat it as it could happen. I I would be happy because... Do you think that the goon needs a rated R though? Well, if you want to be loyal to the comics... Assuming it's an adaptation. Yeah, because like, there there is nothing horrible about it, you know, it's not like a Gorn movie, but there are some very... Uh, mature level jokes because a lot of it is very it's scatological humor okay you know that's that's part of the goon's charm and if you want to be loyal to that you probably should do an R movie you could do a PG-13 good movies you could keep some of the especially since it's animated and people are much more lax about Mm. violence in animated movies right yeah just keep the big chunky blood bits off the screen and avoid 
Well, not avoid the poop jokes because poop jokes apparently are PG thirteen. I guess. Thing. I mean, yeah. The Seth Elvin, Rogen gets away with them all the time. Yeah. No, he does our stuff. But I'm saying the Elvin and the Chipmunks movie have catalogical humor, and oh God. these are PG rated. I believe. I'd ask you how you know that, but I'm afraid for the answer. Uh, video reviews, not actually watching the movies. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the goon. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's a thing that exists because the goon is a great comics, and Eric Powell deserves money. Yeah, yeah. he does. Speaking of projects that have been greenlighted, or maybe greenlighted in the near future, uh, the WB has confirmed that there will be a Batman solo film that is directed and starring Ben Affleck. Mm. Now, they haven't said anything about the content. The no. only thing they said, sort of by omission, by saying that Ben Affleck would be directing it, is that it's not going to be a Zack Snyder movie. Well, Zack Snyder was never supposed to be doing the Batman movie because he was slated for There wasn't doing... supposed to be a Batman movie. No, no, no. I think we all... It's like one of these... They never announced it, but once they announced Batman v Superman, everybody knew there would be a Batman movie because... No. Batman I... movies are as a sure thing as one can be. Even the one that people remember... You know, unfavorably, even Batman and Robin made money. It's just that the public response was so bad that they decided to and wait. I think that might be it. I think they were waiting to see what the public reaction to Ben Affleck's Batman was before they openly committed to it. Because, of course, there was talk about it. Yeah. But they never put it on the schedule until Batman v Superman came out. And amidst all the negativity around the film itself... People seem to agree that at the very least, Affleck did a good job. Like have you, you would want to have more. Have of you that. seen shots from the interviews Ben Affleck gave after the movie came the out? Sad uh, sounds sound of silence. Yeah, yeah, because he looks again. He looks beaten down and weary. Now it might be just you know the shooting for a very long movie, and it might have been that. Well, no, because Henry Cavill sitting next to him talking and talking and talking. And talking. But yeah, and he doesn't look happy about it. That yeah, that sad Affleck meme. First of all, it's hilarious when you listen to the sound of silence with it. But second of all, um, I do think that, and this is pure supposition on my part, but I do think that it's possible Affleck is legitimately disappointed at the backlash to this film. Not yeah. necessarily because he thought that Batman v Superman was going to be this huge, amazing thing, but rather, I mean, Affleck's film career has had starts and stops Forever, I mean, it's it's jiggly, their, it's their Jersey de- girl. It's Daredevil all over again, right? And after Daredevil, yeah. he swore he would never make a superhero movie again, and he actually built a niche. And for you would think that Batman of all people would be like, look, because like you said, Batman is easy. Yeah, anybody can do Batman. So well, anybody can do Batman successfully. You slap his name on a movie, and it's a yeah. hundred million dollars off the get go. Exactly. You don't and, even have to. Try. And here's the thing: he didn't need it, right? He was he was over the last. Five years, the director of three very successful indie movies. Yeah. Well, not indie, but not blockbuster. Yeah, one of them won an Oscar. And for my money, Gone Baby Gone is one of the best thrillers of the last five years. I think you mean Gone Girl. No, no, no. Gone Baby Gone was the movie he directed. Gone Girl is the one he acted in. Oh, okay. It's a kidnapping movie based on a book by uh, David Lane? Lehan? Mm. The Boston thriller guy? Oh, that guy. Lahine? Lahane? Yeah. So it was a great movie for my money, and he and he directed it very okay. well, and he didn't play there, so that was a bonus. True, I think he's better as and I, then, think, I think he's better behind the camera than in front of it. The best thing, the best thing yet, about Argo was not saying, yeah, that, like the, aside from a near universal praise of Gagado, it seemed like the the thing that most people enjoyed in Batman v Superman was Affleck's performance. 
clearly something's going on now the odd thing is that they said they've based this version of batman on the dark knight returns i don't see how that's well again because if you're well, that's what the director, uh, Zack Snyder? Zack Snyder says a lot of things. Yeah, but that's what Zack Snyder referred to, and in a lot of very stupid post-movie reviews are like, Batman kills in The Dark Knight Returns, so you know, him killing in the movie is fine, which is... Uh, the Bat- biggest... What? Batman kills in The Dark Knight Returns? He doesn't. He, Zack no, he Snyder, doesn't. Yeah, Zack Snyder in an interview referred to that one scene, which is badly drawn in the Hulk comic, in which Batman breaks into a kidnapping scene and grabs a gun from one of the kidnappers and shoots the wall. Yeah. So he said, well, you can see that Batman kills the guy, which that's, the, in that scene, oh, I think it was book three of the Dark Knight. Yeah. It's right a bit, the Joker. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit bad, badly drawn and you could, if you just read it in isolation, think that Batman shot the guy in the head because there's a hole in the wall and you can see the guy's like slouching to the side. But if you actually read the book, which I assume he has, it's just one of the most popular comic books of the all time. You know, Batman doesn't kill anybody else there, and the Gotham PD specifically put an APB on him for, you know, kidnapping and dangerous force in the first yeah. in the first two books, and they only add murder to the list of charges explicitly after the Joker dies. Exactly. And he doesn't even kill the Joker. If we he know had it. Killed that nameless guy, whatever, then the whole point of the climax with the Joker would make no sense. Yes. Because it's like this horrible thing where he he quote unquote frames Batman for the murder of the Joker. Why would that be a thing if he had just if he was already shot a mur- some nobody? If he was no already reason. a murderer, so but okay, so okay. like the big revelation here is that Zack Snyder doesn't know what he's talking about, which I'm sure comes as a shock to now, anyone who's Ben Affleck is a real life comic book fan, right? He wants to do Daredevil, not is just he? yes, yes, he wants to do Daredevil, not just because he thought it was being good money. He likes comics, you know. He even wrote the introduction for some of Kevin Smith's comics. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, so you know, he likes comic books. Okay, fine, but. I don't think he's he's very good at them, and I think he's better beyond camera. I would very much like to see another Ben Affleck-directed thriller. Ben Affleck You're about direct- to. He's doing Batman. Uh, do I really want that version of Batman? I, I mean, look, whenever somebody is directing and starring in a movie, you're going to get situations where it's like, uh, maybe... No, no, not... You know, Clint Why is that egotistical? No, no, no. Clint Eastwood did, you know, great career. Yeah, look what happened to him. Well, he, he ended in, up talking to Empty Chairs. Well, letter, in letter years. Empty Chairs. Ben Affleck is not 80-year-old. Yet. Yeah. He'll get there. Well, if we get 30 years of Ben Affleck doing st- stuff that equals to Clint Eastwood at his best, you know, why you not? be so lucky. Yeah. Okay. Uh, More movie news. Yeah. Uh, There's been a bit of a cast change with Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Natalie Portman is out. Yep. Tessa Thompson is in. Now, she was in Creed. Yes. Now, to be fair, they have not said that she is replacing Portman as Jane Foster. Well, no, that... That would have been between you and me. No, that would have been odd. Listen, between you and me, if you had to choose between Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson in terms of what they could potentially contribute to a Thor movie, having seen Natalie Portman in the first two movies, I'm like, you know, she was obviously not a good fit there. You know, it could be a whole Maggie Gyllenhaal in Dark Knight's Return thing. Nobody would say anything. Like, well, okay. it's the internet, and if you're going to cast an African-American woman in a movie, people will say something disgusting no matter what. Yes, but you don't... And having a replaced Natalie Portman, people will say... Well, she's... I mean, super disgusting. Factually, thing. she is. But no, just, she, she's not going she's to be the Jane female, Foster. Yeah, she's the female lead, and they never give a name. So it could be... Who do you think it is? I don't know enough about Thor comics love interests that are not Asgardians. Well, she's not a love interest, they haven't said. Well, no, they said female lead. Could she so. be Ross Solomon? 
I don't know. She she could be, you know she could be one of the Asgardians, you know, yeah. because there is Valkyrie, but there are other Valkyries in the yeah. myth. She could just be a Valkyrie, or like the Valkyrie. Yeah, but hmm, or one of the other goddesses. So you know, or she could be just a mortal. There's 60 years of Thor comics. I haven't yeah, read most of them. I assume there are enough, you know, potential love interests that are not Dr. Jane Foster or the Valkyrie. I don't think she's a love interest, though. No. But in any it's, event, it's, it's, uh, I, I mean, Tessa Thompson got good reviews for her role I, in Creed. I, so I, li- I liked her in Creed. I and Natalie Portman did not. I'm not no, saying anything she, bad about Natalie she Portman. She made but... it pretty clear that she wanted out of the Marvel U after the first Thor movie. She just signed the contract, so she Sweetie, had to We would be okay with that if you hadn't done Star Wars beforehand. And, I mean, nobody's blaming you for what happened in Star Wars, but it's like, okay, that's two genre films now where you basically took a bunch of Xanax and sleepwalked your way through. So maybe, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what she's expecting to happen. Okay. But uh, anyway, exit Jane Foster, which, you know, I'm only sad about that because of the possibility that... It, they could have gone towards like the the current Thor book where where Jason Aaron is right now, and I guess would you really would you really want her to be not Thor? her, no. not her, but like anybody else? That would have been interesting, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. Okay, and we had a Doctor Strange trailer. Speaking yes, of the Marvel Universe we movie, did which was mostly Inception like you know buildings collapse into themselves and people speaking ominously and mysteriously. And Benedict Cumberbatch looking as Benedict Cumberbatch does. And you were talking about, like, I don't know about cultural appropriation and Doctor Strange. Tilda Swinton's got her head shaved and wearing Tibetan monk clothes. So I don't know what you, what you were expecting there, but there you go. And Finn Jones is still Iron Fist. So, but yeah, the trailer. Well, it's, again, we've talked about the ancient one was the casting, when the casting was announced. It's one of those. Yeah, but no there's a possibility that she might not be Tibetan. Well, she's and just like, yeah. Well, well is you're she dressing Tibetan? like them. Well, she's dressed in like a general G. You know, it's it could be just a karate thing, because apparently she, the Asian, she punches Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> in the soul. His spirit goes flying out. She punches him in the soul. The soul an, the ancient one is now officially a Chuck Norris meme. Sure, and so and also a karate master. So, what do you think of the visuals here? It looked fine. I I wasn't blown away because at this point it's like, oh, it's a Marvel Universe movie. It didn't grab me, you know. See, I gave it a little as... more credit than that, only because, like, there's a there's a very short scene where you see Mad Mickelson's character like walking on this floor that's shifting everywhere, and and it's like, okay, oh, Mad Mickelson is playing a threatening bad guy. How original! Should he not have been Doctor Strange? Hmm. Would he not have been perfect as Stephen? Would Strange? not Tilda Swinton be the perfect Doctor Strange? Listen, the the sad fact of this movie, and I'm saying this like completely openly because you know how I feel about Bunder. Benedict Cumberbatch. Bunderdack Cumberdink, whatever his name is. My, I, I dislike him. And, every, and now every the time, internet dislikes you. I don't care. Every time there's a casting announcement for this movie, my first thought is, wouldn't they have been better as Doctor Strange? When they said Chiwetel Ejiofor was going to be Baron Mordo, I'm like, yeah, but he would have been a great Strange. And then Tilda Swinton is the Ancient One. Yeah, but she would have been a great Strange. And then finally, like the last... Amy Adams as a... Uh, uh, Rachel and, McAdams. Rachel McAdams, sorry. As I'm always apparently confusing Night to... Nurse, because you see her... Like, no, no, she a, can't be Night nurse. nurse, because there's... Uh, Rosario Dawson is Night I think, nurse. no, Rosario Dawson is Claire Temple. And I assume they're grooming her to be Night Nurse. 
but Night Nurse isn't Claire Temple. Like, it might, mm. that might have been the plan and then this change. Because all I know about Rachel McAdams' character is that you see her in hospital scrubs. So that, that's a whole Well, thing. he is a doctor, so you know. She would have been a great Doctor Strange too. <laughs> uh, and then like the last announcement that they made was that Mad Mickelson's would be playing a character nobody knows who it is. My guess would it's be. It's Baron Mordo. No, Baron Mordo. Oh, uh, sorry. It's either going to be Dormammu or Nightmare. Or One Umar. Umar? That's Mickelson is Umar. Why not just have him be Shuma Goroth and like draw a line? See, see, I, I would love to see Shuma Goroth in a Marvel movie. Sure, I would like to see Shuma Goroth anywhere. That'd be interesting. But so yeah, every and like then Mad Mickelson's It's like okay, first of all, Mad Mickelson has been playing Hannibal Lecter for like the last three years. Before that, he was a creepy henchman in uh, Casino Royale. Wasn't he, he the bad boss in Casino Royale? He might have been. I he was Lashif, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so he was like the the main villain of a yeah. Bond movie. It's like okay. Mads, don't you want to do something different? Like, you know, why he, not? Just... He has the face of a charming villain. Yeah, but wouldn't, that would have been so much more interesting if he were Stephen Strange. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, no, we're stuck with Benadryl Cucumber, and I, eh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm still gonna go see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the impressive thing for the trailer here for me was that the visuals didn't like you're saying it's just another Marvel movie. It didn't look like another Marvel movie. Like there's this thing where you see like the three cities I, and dimensions and things. I, I don't think like, it looks that impressive because well, modern it's CGI. Inception. Yeah. It's yeah mo- modern modern C- CGI has pretty much reached its peak point of, well, sure, we can do everything. But so they haven't done this before. You didn't have that kind of trippy visual style. The only thing that comes to mind that's like sort of in that ballpark is when uh, that scene in Ant-Man where he shrinks down and then like he's in this weird microverse. See, for me, it didn't catch me immediately. It wasn't like Guardians of the Galaxy when once the Uga Chaka music started yeah, in the trailer, okay. you were like, oh, I'm, this is interesting. This is new. For me, it's, it's not a Marvel movie. Okay. Which I'm, I'm sure will be fine because even my least favorite Marvel movies were entertaining. Yeah. At least that. Yeah. TV news. Uh, okay, so Seth Rogen, ha- not tired enough from doing the Preacher uh, TV show, have announced that there's... Seth Rogen is doing the well, Preacher he, show? He was too? one of the producers, right? Or am I mis- misremembering? Anyway, Seth Rogen, whatever else he does, because he's a busy guy, is also producing the boys TV show based on the comic book by Derek Robertson and Garth Ennis. And who was the replacement artist? When Derek Robertson left? I like how you think I was reading The Boys long <laughs> enough to actually I, know I the I thought difference. you remember. Anyway, The Boys <laughs> was infamously the comic that DC dropped from yeah. Wildstorm after... Who, who was the head at the time? I think it was Levitz. Yeah, Paul Levitz. After Paul Levitz hated it. It's Girth and his take on superheroes and, you know, the because... corrupt and the darkness and yeah. the evilness. And because okay. clearly Ennis didn't quite get that out of the, his system with the 50,000 other books he's written where he talks about how much superheroes are awful and how he hates the genre. He's a, he is so much like Warren Ellis in this and even their names sound alike. No. And I don't like... Okay. Okay, now here's ooh, the thing. So much anger. I am a huge Garth Ennis fan. Right? Okay. Hitman, my favorite book of all time. Sure. War Story is great. Uh... I don't like when he does superheroes because he doesn't like doing superheroes. And most of the time... And you can tell. Yeah. For like 80% of his career, he managed somehow, even before Image was a thing, to do non-superhero projects. He did horror comics. He did crime comics. He did war, war, war comics. Was he the one who did that four-issue miniseries of The Unknown Soldier that was really good? Yes. There you go. That was a great series, right? There you go. 
And, but every once in a while, it's important to him to remind his readers and the internet and the world that he hates superheroes and he does stuff like four Vikings in which superheroes get their ass kicked or uh, the Marvel Knights Punisher where superheroes get their ass kicked or the boys, which was a very violent... Oh, You're all forgetting the... one. Which one? The big one. The pro? Yeah. Well, the big one. It was mean, a short no, story. It was a short story, but when you th- like, if you want to boil down Ennis's perspective of what is wrong, quote unquote, wrong with the superhero genre, that is it. And like, in a nutshell, yeah, he and, takes the Justice League. Yeah, and I don't disagree with him in theory about well, if you want to write an essay about the problems of the superhero genre, fine. I don't think it should be. It was a sixty, seventy odd. No, at least 70, because there was also two time miniseries series. It's still going on, isn't it? No, no, it it was over two years ago, three years ago. But it was a very long and, again, for some reason, hugely successful series. It was Dynamite's most popular thing. It outsold most of the Wildstorm stuff that that it threw them off. But you know why. Tits. No, the tits, Tom. No. Yeah. Dynamite publishes a lot of tit comic, and most of them don't sell... Even third or fourth as well as The Boys. The Boys was a very good seller. And it still is. It still does pretty good work in trade form. Now, I didn't like it. It's just so juvenile, my it, God. Yeah, it felt very juvenile. But, and, but but this is what, like you're saying, you know, a fan of Ennis. And I'm saying, okay, Ennis is not an unskilled writer. But I... And, and you, like you're saying, there's nothing wrong with the perspective that there's something wrong with the superhero genre let's and talk see, about it here's the thing I but it's so childish he always takes it to the place of they're perverts they're rapists look at how they abuse their powers they're cartoonish and here's the thing I've, it's like okay but you have made I didn't, that point i didn't even read all of the boys but i've read enough there are moments there in which the ennis's good side shines through there are moments of actual character drama when one of the boys starts a romance with a young superheroine and when he discovers that she's a superhero and he starts to walk away from her and the and Ellis and Ennis writes in the background like he knew he was making the wrong decision but he still did it and he one led step after another that's like that's a great moment but it's all built into this you know it's a comic about how comic other comics sucks which okay yeah you know, most Marvel and DC comics suck. Okay, I agree. It's not new. Yeah, though. it's not new, and you're and not telling you it in an interesting way. Yeah, like, if you want to say something about that, you have to get out of this mentality of, so, let's go adult. Anyway, we're not, we're not reviewing the boys. So there's apparently going to do it, be a TV show. Great. Um, for Cinemax, of all things. I, I am not surprised. Again, what did I say? Tits. Of course they went to Cinemax. Well, of course they did. Who did? Uh, who was gonna do it? Who did, AM, AMC? Who did the Spartacus TV show? Stars. Stars. So you, he could he could have done it. In stars. No, he couldn't. I think every single channel. Stars doesn't do tits. They do nudity across the board, and you'll never see a naked guy in a Garth Ennis comic. Well, oh, well, Sean. Yes, I've seen naked guys in Garth Ennis's comics all the time. Not and like they do in Stars, oh, though. Oh. Not like in Stars. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Stars does, like, equal opportunity objectification, which is fair enough for them. Gareth like, Ennis, that's Gareth Ennis do. does it as well, trust me. Well, not objectification because everybody's ugly in, in most of the <laughs> Inside and out. Um, okay, like, look. Every channel needs to have, a, apparently, course, a comic book TV show. Of course, it's going to be I am not surprised. Are you going to watch it? Um, I don't know. I'm going to wait for the previews. Does that sound like something like okay? They're saying a TV adaptation of the boys, Seth Rogen. Is that something that interests you? 
on its face, on its on those merits, because we don't know anything about like mm-hmm. ag- there's no casting announcements, no. nothing. No, but I didn't want to watch. I didn't think History of Violence was a good idea, and the movie was one of my favorite movies of all time. Well, the book was good too. Though. I didn't. I didn't actually like the book very much. Hmm. So you know the fa- again, and be- being a book that I don't like is not a promise for a bad TV show, and being based on a good book right. is not. Because here's the thing: The Godfather is a pretty terrible book. It's not. It's not awful, but it's just you know a boring potboiler crime fiction, mm-hmm. and it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Now, uh, Life in the Time of Cholera is a great book that was made into boringly mediocre movie that nobody even remembers three years after it came out. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it's good or bad, it depends on the creators and it depends on the actors. It depends on the on the TV show. Okay. You know. So even if I don't like the book, I'm interesting. I'm interested. In theory, this could work. In theory. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Speaking of every channel needs a superhero series, yeah. Freeform, formerly known as ABC Family, have decided to launch a Cloak and Dagger movie. A sorry, TV a show. Cloak and, a Cloak and Dagger TV show. What are your thoughts on this? Okay. It's ABC, so that means they're on the same network as... Which, show, which right? ABC is it though? Because there are several ABCs, right? Like no, subchannels well, and Freeform now used to be called ABC Family. So they have a good track record with superhero shows because they did the Middleman. Did they? ABC Family did the Middleman. Yeah. Ooh la la! That was a great show. I really like that. The is some pedigree that buys yeah. you quite a lot of cash. Yeah, but then again, if you're saying they're doing Ages of Shield, which is are they? A... I... You just said it. I no, don't know. I don't. I know that ABC is it NBC for eight. No, Agents of Shield. I know is ABC because that's not a good show. Um, Agents of Shield. God no. Yeah, it's no. on ABC. Okay, but I think okay. So that's ABC, and this is ABC Family. Well, maybe no it's longer. like DC and Vertigo. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but Cloak, Cloak and, Dagger. and Dagger. So if what you don't know them, this? they're like sec. Second stringers, third stringers, third stringers. By yeah, this point, I think. they didn't have an ongoing uh, series since mid eighties. Uh, popped up from yeah. Time the to point time. is, they're two teenage runaways, not the actual runaways, though they met, which get superpowers from a drug experiment gone bust. Yeah, and one of them is African American with the power of Shadow Cloak that can turn traverse him through other dimensions and yeah. like swallow a, people whole. A black guy with the power of darkness. And one of them is a white, rich, ex-rich girl who can throw light daggers at people. Yeah. Well, the powers are low enough on the totem pole for it not to be a worry of, well, how are they going to showcase it? Yeah. It's not like the Supergirl TV show where, well, you have to do Superman on a TV budget. Yeah, and it's also, if you're going to do Supergirl on a TV budget, then that means, okay, flight, uh, speed, Heat vision, like all of the yes, powers, have to super be breath and whatever. Yeah, and here it's like, well, one of them mostly shadow, and this one, one of them mostly teleports, and the other mostly throw lights at people, which sure. you can do. You know, we had phasers and TV since the mid sixties. Sure, and uh, I think they figured it like that whole shadow teleporting thing. Yeah. I think after Harry Potter, everybody knows how to do that. Now. Yeah, yeah, the, the effect, whole thing with like the yeah, you can buy it in the effect library. I, I assume, yeah, probably. But let's let's think for a second about like cloak and dagger. Interestingly enough. I was sort of surprised by this because mm. you would think that it would make a better fit for Netflix because not because of, you know, all things must go to Netflix, but because this is an urban superhero story that was not known for pulling its punches. Well, for like the time. Deal- yeah. Obviously. I mean, this was. Who was writing it in the mid eighties? Ooh. Uh, it wasn't Simonson, right? 
Well, I, I, I the original they, writers, I think that they didn't start out as protagonists yeah. in their own book. Yeah, well, they probably launched out of a Spider-Man spinoff or something. They were most, created by Bill Mantlow. Which explains uh, so much! Bill Mantlow and drugs, always a good combination. Oh, anyway, so Cloak and Dagger. You um, should probably, by the way, give money to Bill Mantlow. If, yeah. If, as long as... We mention his name. We should mention, you know, search. Look it up. You'll know why. Search the hero initiative on the internet. Give some money. Sure, it's good. Good folks. You know, he's done a lot of things that you are probably currently enjoying. Yeah. Okay. But so, Cloak and Dagger. It, it's it's a strange fit for ABC Family, or I say, you know, Freeform now, because that implies that we're talking about a standard twenty-two episode season. Uh, just as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does. I'm, I don't know if that works. My big problem with it is I don't see it as an ongoing because for me, you know, good ongoing superhero narratives should have a strong backing cast. And, you know, your Superman, you have your Daily Planet. You know, Spider-Man, you have your Bugle. Daredevil, you have Nelson and Murdoch and Associates. Who, who are the supporting cast of Cloak and Dagger? They'll have to build them for the ground out because the yeah. big idea in the series about their their runaways, while they're always changing position, and that kind of storytelling hasn't been popular since the mid '60s with yeah. you know the fugitive. The and, larger problem. Well, is no, the way. '80s, the '80s and such. Uh, yeah, you know, people who's well, you have the main stars and nobody else is constant. Yeah. Well, also the bigger problem with them is that they tend to feature so heavily in other people's stories. Yeah, they're mostly that, guest stars. Like, who are Cloak and Dagger's supporting characters? Pretty much the Avengers. But then... Who's it, their main villain? Crime. It, yeah. You know. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. But that's what I'm saying. Like it would it Cloak and Dagger more, versus crime. It would have made more sense to put them in Netflix where at least you could sort of work them into the larger storyline. Mm-hmm. Because on their own, I don't know that they ever had... Well, like, like, and this is the reason that they couldn't sustain the again. Ongoing. Now, Cloak and Dagger is one of these things that is mostly based. It's like Ghost Rider. It's based on the strong visual hook of yeah. you know, oh, yeah. dark and light. And now, Ghost Rider was made into a pair of terrible movies, even though it's a pretty good idea for a movie. Cloak and Dagger could work again. Depends on who does it, because the good pe- good people can make anything good, and bad people yeah. can't can't work with anything, as we've seen with Batman v Superman, right? Yeah. Well, good people. No, I said I said bad. No, I'm. I said bad people can't make anything work, and good people can make even oh, the lamest yeah, concepts work. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's you know, fair. you give the biggest and probably two of the best comic book characters of all time to a low rate writer, you get a low rate production. Yeah. You give something you know that nobody cares about to a high powered. Had it been George Miller. Well, we'll never know. Oh, George. Uh, so, are you waiting for this? Am I waiting for this? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. There are... Because here's the thing. It's not true to say that everything Marvel have put out in the field of television outside of Netflix has been crap. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing some kind of inhuman Secret Warriors nonsense, and I do not care. But first season of Agent Carter was pretty good. Second season, not so much, but that's an internal matter. It's possible, you know. All I'm saying is that if you're doing it on freeform, I think that by default, you're omitting the possibility that these characters can exist in a shared world. In which case, it becomes kind of a problem. Because it's hard for me to consider Cloak and Dagger 
having a rich enough world on their own mm. to sustain a series long term. If there was a possibility that they could turn up in, well, I'm not going to say Agents of Shield, but like maybe the the Marvel's most the wanted Defenders, spin-off. yeah, no, not the Defenders, wow. the the ABC show that they're oh, going to okay. do, the next spinoff with with Mockingbird, right? Mm-hmm. If they could bump into her, and, and then at least then you could say, okay, they're actors in a larger stage, so it's all right if they're doing this. Is this is know. the concept and the character strong enough for an ongoing TV show? I'm not sure. But again, they, maybe. they haven't been in recent years. Let's put mm-hmm. it this way. Like, no. if the potential existed, because like, again, so many of their, and, and it's frustrating because like so many of their key relationships and their most memorable roles have always been in opposition to Something. Yeah, the best thing that, that happened to them was the guest appearance in Runaways, yeah, right? Yeah, because then they like, were like the older Runaways versus the younger Runaways, and, and you had all of that thematic parallel going on, and it was really interesting. So and you've got you, your power from drugs, and now you're fighting drug dealers. Isn't this a bit hypocritical? I am not your role model! <laughs> that's such a great line. Exactly. You know, but, but that's exactly it. If you're putting them in their own mm. little bubble... And they don't have anyone else to bounce off of. I don't, I don't know. Like, it could be good, but it, it just seems weird. Like, of all the, mm-hmm. of all the things, cause you know what would have worked in this context if they had done Ghost Rider? Because Ghost Rider, by can you nature, do it? can you do it on a TV budget? I think How? so. He looked terrible in the second movie because they didn't awful. have budget anyway, so. Sure, on. but if you're considering that, like, most of the problems with that. Why isn't Nicolas The Cage, Runaways a TV show? No, that, because nobody remembers the runaways. But nobody, re- nobody cares about Cloak and Dagger either. Clearly somebody does. I don't think so. I think they just grabbed the license and said, because, because we've talked about it before. Uh, TV managers work like this. Oh, comic book movies are successful. Let's make a comic book movie. What comic book? I don't care. Grab something. You know, comic book TV shows are successful. Grab something. What's the cheapest thing Marvel will sell us? Yeah. Because, oh, uh, we want to do Ghost Rider. No, no, no. They're asking for quite a lot of money for Ghost Rider. What's this clue? Who would ask for a lot of money? No, 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 no. I well, mean, more than Cloak and Dagger because people... Really? Yes, because even though there were failed movies, people actually saw them. So Ghost Rider mm-hmm. is a familiar name. But, you know, Cloak and Dagger, I, I assume that people buy them from Marvel for, you know, pennies. Can you license Cloak and Dagger for us on TV? Sure. Uh, give me $5 and a hamburger. The problem Here you that, go. No, but the problem with that perspective is like, if that's the approach that you're taking and that's the interpretation that you're looking at for the mm. creation of these characters, then you're basically admitting that there's no possibility that anyone ever went into, you know, launching one of these series and saying it's going to be good. You're no, just saying, I, no, I, it's going to make money. I'm saying with Cloak and Dagger, yes. They're aiming for money. I, that's what's, that's what they always aim for. But if you were for. aiming for money, you would go for someone more recognizable and more marketable than Cloak and Dagger. No, because I believe, they're I believe, cheap, yeah, I but believe that at this nobody point, knows them. I believe that they believe, right? I believe that the managers in ABC believe right now that the Marvel brand, and possibly they're right about it, is strong enough to sustain by itself. That by saying, here's the new Marvel, t- Marvel superhero TV show, they will make money. And if, and if they believe that that's enough, they wouldn't, you know, give up the big change for something more familiar. Mm. They would say, well, we can do a Marvel TV show and it will make us money. So why, why do we need to spend that money on some big name character? Whatever Marvel has because left on the table. Because it'll make more money. Not necessarily. Brand recognition. Not necessarily. Again, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was one of Marvel's more successful movies and nobody, nobody, 
Nobody knew them. There, they were. About but that as... was an internal decision, though. Mm-hmm. That Marvel Studios made the decision of well, we, we are going to make a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. They didn't have to pitch it to anybody. And they and for a long time they thought this, this was gonna... after the Avengers. And for a long time they thought this was going to be their big flop. People sure. in Marvel believed that they're not going to make it, or it's going to be not a flop but not a success. Right. But like I get what I get what you're saying, and I agree. Like that is one mindset for studio heads to have. All I'm saying is if the objective here is financial gain and nothing else, there are so many other characters at Marvel that have, first of all, would be cheaper and have higher brand recognition because, first of all, they presumably ABC uh, could have gotten Namor. They could have gotten Man-Thing. Like, there, there are Mantlo characters. There was already a Man-Thing TV movie, wasn't there? I think that was Swamp Thing. You're no, talking no, about no, the one with Adrian Barbeau? No no, 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 I'm not talking about the night. There was a Man-Thing made-for-TV movie, like, oh my 10 years god. ago, which nobody saw. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah, like, you could do Howard the Duck. There, there are all of these really low-tier things that make more sense than characters. And, like, what do they have in common? What, what's the connection between Howard the Duck? And Ghost Rider, that these are characters that exist more or less in their own milieu. I would love to see a Cloak squirrel. And I, I would love to see a squirrel, a squirrel girl sure. sitcom, like a sure. twenty minutes comedy beat. Sure, or like an animated series on uh, Cartoon Network. Yep, right. That would be fantastic. Well, but Marvel are... cartoons are pretty terrible. Have you watched them? No. The Avengers one is terrible. No, I and I've heard that. I mean, look. You kind of like the Ultimate Spider-Man. I thought it was trash. Yeah, but that, I was over it. At some and, yeah, point. and the Hulk and the Agents of Smash is again. If it's still ongoing, was a terrible but show. But hasn't that always been the case? Well, no, I mean, because the the, fir- the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes cartoon was pretty good. Yeah, but... After that, they just stopped caring. They said, well, we're going to make care. money anyway. Movies. It looks terrible, right? They don't... For their cartoons, they're like the cheapest ones that you can produce. I'm not surprised. Say what you will about DC. At least their cartoons are more exactly. good looking at the time. Like DC just... Well, DC has been dominating the television game mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, look... I'll be watching it, at least mm-hmm. for the first few episodes, because, you know, I know Cloak and Dagger. I'm not fans. Like, I can't say... I can't name a storyline besides their Runaways appearance that was like, oh my god, it's Cloak and Dagger. Eh. But we'll see. It could go either way. Actual reviews, or is Let's there... Let's move on to the reviews. Oh, that, that took forever, right? So much news. It's so much news. Guys, could you just, like, scale it back a little bit so we don't have so much to talk about? And we're going to start with Marvel, despite our best, opi- our best wishes. Black Panther number one, written by Tanahisi Coates, and I will never be sure if I'm no, pronouncing no, you got it right. You got it. And drawn by Brian Starfleet. Now, this was a comic that Sean waited for with bated breath, I would say, and yeah. I waited for with interesting skepticism. I would, I wouldn't say bated breath. In you, the sense you were that very excited when it, when it was announced, right? When we talked about it and did the solicitors. Well, no, what solicitors. I said was it was an interesting pick. Mm. I, um, because I'm not a fan of Black Panther previously, like I enjoyed the priest run for a while. Oh, I love the priest run. But, you know, I wouldn't say that like the fate of T'Challa weighs heavily on hmm. me uh, as a reader of like Marvel comics in general. But when they announced Tanahisi Coates, it was such an off the wall pick yeah. that I was like, something, that's, something could that's happen. That's the complete here. opposite of mid and potatoes, which yeah. would be broccoli and shrimp. I don't know. No, this is like calamari. Have you like uh, pancakes with 
one layer of chocolate, and then let's add on top of that maple syrup. Just so as like you you're saying, think. this comic would kill a person. I'm saying it would give them a heart attack. attack. But you die with a smile on your face. Um, <sighs> anyway, so, the plot. Yeah, I was I was interested. Um, the plot. The plot. So. Wakanda is in a state of unrest, and this I'm pulling from the recap page because yeah. to tell you that I know what's happening in Marvel right now, I don't. The big Boycott surprise, the is big in effect. The big surprise was that it really ties into the Marvel universe. I don't know nothing about that. What mm-hmm. I know is that according to the recap page, there was a flood. Doom launched a coup. Thanos attacked and apparently killed T'Challa's sister Shuri, who was Black Panther and Queen of Queen Wakanda, of Wakanda at, at the time. time. So the story begins with T'Challa. Coming back and reasserting his authority as king and looking into who is turning his citizens against him because there's civil unrest going on throughout the kingdom. At the same time, there's another plot thread that deals with one of the royal guards. Yeah. Who the is... The Mejuri Dore? The Dora... I think Do- it's Dora Milaje. Dora Milaje, right. Or Milaje. Yes. I, I'm not sure. Uh, the, the guard's Comic name pronunciation is... guide. We <sighs> need it. The, the guard's name is Aneka. She killed a village chieftain who was raping the girls in his village. And because she committed murder, she is sentenced to death. And so we have these two plot threads, which to be... And we also have the king's mother, uh, sort of not directly taking force, but she's sort of managing the state while T'Challa is on the front lines. Yeah. As, the, as the Black Panther is, the representational yeah. image She's basically of the, fulfilling the, the role that his sister used to fulfill. Yeah. Like being the person who is holding down the fort while he's in the suit having adventures. Mm-hmm. And um, that about sums up the yeah. overall plot. So, What was your thoughts on, on I What were you thinking? I liked it, actually. Uh, again, I liked the fact that it was both within the Marvel Universe, because it takes a lot from Infinity, and even Avengers vs. X-Men, the flood they refer to is when Namor was the Phoenix Force and he attacked the country. Oh. So, it's that, but at the same time, you don't need to know that. You just need to know that the country was in a bad, bad right. shape. And that, you know... And that the every- people blame uh, yeah. Black Panther for it specifically. Yeah, and I like the fact that it's not so much a Black Panther comics as much as a Wakanda... Pros- Procedural? Procedural. Like, it's like the West Wing Wakanda, right? Because there, you have, yeah. you have politics, you have people outside, you have the, the, you have a different country sort of meddling in their affairs, and at the same time you have actual pro-democracy, uh, terror groups, I would call, you would call them? It seems to be. Yeah. There, there's clearly something going on within the descent. So Wakanda is beset within and without. Yeah. And Tanahisi quotes the good thing about what he's doing here is that while we are sympathetic towards the Black Panther from the mere fact that he is the Black Panther and he's the big name character, you know, the, the, he basically says, well, this country is not right. You know, this is a dictatorial country run by a monarch and the will of the people is unimportant to him. You know, he, he thinks he's the best and he's a good king, maybe. But, you know, a good king is still a king. See, I, mm, mm-hmm. I feel like Coates might have miscalculated here. Oh, okay. In that sense, specifically. Because you're saying the problem with assuming a critical tone towards T'Challa as king is that from the very first pages... It's very clear that the crowd that is protesting him is being mind-controlled. The the implication being... No, no, no. I mean, glowing eyes and everything. So the implication seems to be 
that they are not trying to destabilize his rule because he's a monarch and they're criticizing him as a result of that. No, no. See, again, what's what Coates presenting here is that there are both legitimate threats that to the to the monarchy that is threats because people disagree with his politics, and at the same time there are people who are just using the situation that this you know the unrest, the hatred towards the king, the recent invasions to sort of you know maneuver maneuver along. We have the agents from the foreign country there, right? Uh, what was the name of the country? Uh, Naganda. Niganda. Niganda. Right, who were saying, well, we're doing this for the best of Wakanda, right? right. Wink, but, wink. but they're the Imagine. villains of the story. They're yeah, the ones but, who are mind But at the same everyone. time, you have this, like you said, the subplot with the two uh, Queen's guards right. who a, who defy the rule and go against it because they're saying, well, well your, your orders are unjust. And our love is also apparently forbidden. This I don't know if that's true. Well, I mean, their like, love is forbidden because the uh, Dora Milaji are promised to the king. They're like, oh, the king, okay. It's like it's the king's harem that he never sleeps with, right? So, so it's a ceremonial I, thing. I think like maybe this was just a consequence of overall feeling like there might have been too much going on in this issue because, mm-hmm. like, for example. I don't know that either of the approaches that Coates took here would have been good. What I mean by that is, if you want to start out with Black Panther looking into who is turning his people against him, there's a whole process of investigation that you could go through that he does not go through because he chases this woman, whoever she is, uh, that's mind-controlling them, and she disappears. He goes home. And then the next time you see him is at the end of the issue, doing he, something that has he, nothing at all to do. He hardly has any agency in, the, in his own story, which yeah. is either weird or interesting, depends where you're coming it from. It would have been interesting. Again, like, it, the, the mind control component is something that's very, I mean, it's very superhero. It's yeah, it's a very superhero. Marvel universe. Sure. But at the same time, if they're being manipulated, then you can't then say in the same breath that they're protests against their supposedly beloved king, right? Because the whole thing with... Black Panther used to be that, like... He was the good monarch. He was the good king versus Doom being the bad king, yes. right? And yet, okay, so his no. people are not working against him willingly. Well, some of them aren't, but and then, it brings out the interesting question. Even if you are a good king, you're still a king, right? But he doesn't ask that question, I think. I think I think he does. I think it's like how? it's between the lines. If the question, I don't, I don't know if that's there because <laughs> the question that he, is concerning him throughout this entire story, when he goes back and he, he reports mm-hmm. to his mother about like, what's going on out there in the field, he is, and you, you see like the screens that he's investigating. He's not looking into what the people are complaining about. He's looking into there was a woman there who had this energy field around her, and her presence there was clearly moving other people to acts of violence and aggression. And as soon as she was gone, they calmed down. He's not questioning himself at all. And then parallel to that, you have Aneka's story. And Aneka's story is really interesting. But she's not the fo- like she's not the focalizer. Well, it's she, still the child's book. If she, gets, been, she gets she gets I think more pages than the Black Panther does. Yeah, but it's still like she's first of all she's not the only narrator. T'Challa uh, narrates yeah. as well. So it's like maybe if if the story had started with Aneka and then introduced T'Challa through her eyes because she's not being mind controlled. She takes action and you know when her lover comes to rescue her she's like I broke the king's law. Despite the fact that the Black Panther's younger sister 
argues in her defense. She's like, okay, you still violated your law by taking action when you weren't supposed to. She would have been the perfect introduction to Black Panther. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, through her, see what the deal is with him. Because his whole story here is reasserting himself as king after this whole series of catastrophes. I disagree. I really like the multiple point narrative. I really like that, like you said, he's trying to do too much, which for me is always better than too little. My main argument would be that this book gets, gets, you know, it's overrated from the get-go. Because, you know, social media is like burning with, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. And it's... It's not. It's not. I think I think it's a very good introductory issue. I think it's a very good Marvel book. Here's what it's not. It's not a $5 comic. <laughs> this comic costs $5 for 22 story pages. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Wait, what is it, a 30 well, most of the other pages are extra, are backup material ah. because you have, you know, an interview with, with, uh, right, no codes, an right. interview with Starfleet's. Now, Starfleet's art is great. Yes. Now, and I have to point out his, um, his take on Wakandan fashion. Mm. Like, um, T'Challa's mother has like this huge purple hood. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. He's been working in comics for like decades now and I hardly noticed the guy. Cause he doesn't do high profile projects. Well, yeah, no, this Except is the, for this, one. this is the flagship he deserves and may run smoothly. Yeah. But here's the thing. I'm, it's a $5 for 22 pages no. of story and I'm sorry. No. Why, why should I? Why should I support this? If, if no, this the, was the if, argument to support, if this was the, you know, the greatest comic ever, sure, you know, great quality, I can allow, but this, this is just, this is a good book. It's, but it's not. This is it's, our North Carolina. It's, it's like, basically. it's like, no, 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 it's even more than that. It's, 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 it's pop fiction. Like, it's a $5 shake. Is it a good shake? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a $5 shake. This is a good book. It's not, not a $5. Do- no. Not for this amount of pages. You know, if this was 40 pages of art, of story, okay, you know, I can sort of let it slide. And then though. Yeah. My, usually my minimum is the Dark Horse presents, you know, $5, 48 pages. Sure. But this, yeah, we've talked you know, about it. It's I, a, I, I probably will return for the collected edition, which will be huge, right? It's a 12-issue storyline. I'm, I'm imagining 1 to 6 and 7 yeah. to 12, two books. Yeah. But, you know. Well, once he announces a 12-issue storyline, he sort of announced, well, you got to read the whole thing or nothing. The only reason that I would consider making this an exception, like like I said, I had problems with the story, so I don't think that I'll be coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's not a knock-on quotes. It's just I think that he might have bitten off. A little more than he could chew in the context of. I should probably we, sh- we should probably mention. Usually, writers from other mediums coming to vacation in comics is a recipe for disaster. Uh, have you read the Aaron and Ahmad, the Vertigo graphic novel? Say that again. Aaron and Ahmad. It was a Vertigo graphic novel that came a few years ago from a very uh, famous writer who, very famous writer whose name I not I now do not recall. Uh huh. You can look it up. It was pretty bad because usually when writers from other mediums come to comics, they don't know how to work in comics or they were just, you know, using their own... Nachman? Aaron and Ahmed. Oh! Na- not Nachman. What's a Nachman? Aaron and Ahmed. Yeah. What, what's his name? Oh, this was a Vertigo book by... 2011. Yeah. So... Five years know. ago. Jay so. Cantor, was it? Jay Cantor, yeah. And he did a lot of very well-regarded novels, but when he came to comic, you could you could have seen... Oh yeah, this guy writes novels for a living. Too, <laughs> yeah. too many words. Now, Coates doesn't have this problem. No. Now, it might be Starfleet. The dialogue might, is good. Yeah. No, it's it's good, and the comics is you know the pages are developed properly. There's never too much or too less information. Now, it might be Starfleet. Starfleet might Starfleet be Starfleet was the cat <laughs> because he drew it. I think he actually drew. I think Starfleet drew Starfleet. 
I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> and he was oh, because like, I was like, he's he, a cat who vomits blood because he's so angry. No, 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 no. He's not, no, he's the orange lantern. He's the guy who wants stuff. Oh, he's tired. The, the cat who vomits blood is uh, Atrocitus? Atrocitus? No, I. <laughs> the cat who vomits blood. <laughs> we have a t- uh, episode that all. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, let, let me put it this way then. Mm-hmm. I think the only selling point that I see here beyond it's a good start. Mm-hmm. I had some issues with it. The selling point, really, and it's it's ridiculous that I'm saying this as like an actual thing, is that Coates has such a high profile, I can't see Alonzo screwing with him. There's not going to be issue number five of Black Panther, tie into Civil War 2. Oh. Issue number six of Black Panther, tie into Original Sin. X-Men Apocalypse War. Yeah, Apocalypse is not going to turn up in issue seven and be like, if you want to know what happens next, read that. Well, the big surprise is that this is very heavily t- tied into the Marvel continuity universe. So It's covered in the recap yeah. page. Like They're talking about uh, Thanos invades Wakanda. You don't see Thanos anywhere in this issue. There's mm. no acknowledgement of anything. It does drop you in in media space, I really but... what I, what I want to see more is the Black Panther in the Black Panther series. Because I, when I, Priest you when... could take that in another direction though. Like you could have a Black mm. Panther story in which the main character is his bodyguard and sh- you you only see him through her eyes. That's another yeah, way to the, do but it. But the whole idea of doing multiple point narrative is that you get different opinions and ideas regarding what the crown should do. Yeah. You have you have the Panther himself. You have T'Challa, who's mostly just tired. He's so weary in, throughout this one issue. Yeah. You have the Queen, who's like, "Well, we must keep our we must keep our guard. We must do whatever it takes." And you know, she believes that she's not she's not a villain, but she but her beliefs clash with you know our modern way of life, right? Because keeping the monarchy is live is not something that we support i assume and we have the bodyguards were like we should do what's right even if what's right is against our sacred laws yeah and you have the actual antagonists who are like well we don't care what you're doing but this whole monarchy thing should go by hook or by crook or by anything or nothing it's it's a situation i think where the desire to tell a proper political story and deal with the implications of monarchy and, and all of those really juicy, meaty mm-hmm. things that you could do are somewhat undercut by the fact that at the end of the day, this is a Marvel book in which the guy who is supposedly espousing democracy and wants to topple the Wakandan m- m- tyrannical regime, as it were, is using mind control. It's like if that device did not exist in the story and all he was doing was inciting people inciting people through speech through saying look at how this character has failed you aren't you angry don't you want to do something about it from the first page here there's no doubt that the Mm. wakandan unrest is being caused by an external factor now so it's how is it then a fault of t'challa now for me the the good thing about that being a black panther comics is that he's a low enough tier of a character that you can actually change <laughs> for now. For now, Civil War is coming out yeah, in two yeah. weeks. But you can actually change the status quo without many people being enraged. Now you can do a comic in which an anti-globalization supervillain fights Bruce Wayne because, well, you can't have Batman be defeated and saying, "Well, I no longer run." You've convinced me. You know, the Wayne Corporation is now broken. Yeah, although someone is probably. But you can have that. you can have somebody change the status quo of Wakanda. And has. You yeah. know, this is not the first time Wakanda has been... Well, no, they they changed with. rulers, but if the end of the story... I actually believe that the end of the story could be. It might not be. I don't know. Could be Wakanda is now a democracy. It could actually change. And the fact that the Black Panther is there, and the fact that Tanaisi Coates writes it, means that there could be a new status quo. If this would have been, you know, uh, somebody's for doing... For how long? 
Well, it's <laughs> no, no well, also because like the problem no, of, for me of that's not a problem. Episodes. If somebody rechanges the status quo later, I don't okay. care. But no, but the assumption there is you bump into the problem of for as long as it's been around in the Marvel universe, Wakanda has always been presented as on the one hand yes a monarchy, but on the other hand not in not associated with the faults that we, like, in real yeah. life, associate with actual Well, monarchies. again, in the priest later run, there were a lot of hints of, you know, people are rebelling, and, you know, and the Black Panther pretty much keeps this country simply by his presence. It's like, he's a great enough of a leader and a figure for people to f- walk in line, even though all the different tribes within Wakanda, you know, hate each other and fight constantly. Yeah, and and that is the basis for an interesting political mm-hmm. story, yeah. which is exactly what Priest did. Mm-hmm. Whether Coates is going to follow in that, I line, think I, I, don't th- know. I think he will, and I hope he will. But again, I'm not going to read it monthly. I just, no. I'm sorry, not for five dollars. No. Uh, so from a big political allegory story to Goldie Vance, <laughs> a children detective story, uh, written by Hope Larson and mm-hmm. uh, with art by Brittany Williams from Boom Studios, because it's a four issue box. I think it's Boom. No, okay. It's box on the cover because it's a ki- it's a kids detective story for yeah. Shumini. Who else is gonna be? So you were really hyped for this. Uh, I was hyped because I really like Hope Larson. Okay, and so let's talk about it. So we have Goldie Fence, and she's a teen detective who works for this hotel, basically helping the actual hotel detective solve crime because he he's not incompetent. He's just not very good at his job. He's just like. Well, it's, a, it's an hotel. What do you think is going to happen? You know, when there's a robbery, he's just going to call the local pawn shops until somebody tells him who sold him the stolen item. Right. That's his idea of detective work, which is probably closer to real-life detective work, but not... Fun but it's more hands-on. Yeah, yeah. Like Nancy Drew. Yeah. And in this first issue, and apparently in the rest of the miniseries, we have this mystery with a stolen piece of jewelry, which was taken from one of the one of the tenants of the hotel mm-hmm. and by the end of the story she solved this mystery but there are hints of something a bit bigger in the background yeah the mystery isn't what she thinks it is yeah and also there's a bit around with her uh friend mm-hmm. trying thinking of going on a date with a guy who doesn't have the money to actually invite her on a date yeah there's like two friends mm-hmm. of hers that are mm-hmm. now we've talked about uh the baker street particular irregulars Sorry. Peculiars. Uh, peculiars. It's <laughs> One like, of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Baker Street uh, Peculiars uh, two episodes ago. Yeah. So this is very much like that in which it's a very good children's series and pretty much that's it. It's a very good issue of a children's detective mystery, but it's not It's not like all ages. There, is, there isn't a lot of there, I think, for the adult reader. You know, it's it's very it's very fun. It's very light. It's, it's very breezy. It's 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 nice to read, but I do think you're right. Like the the it's boom like, box label here is not coincidental. No, it's it's a children's story, and you know what? For a children's story, great. You know, and Larson said like she wants to create the next Nancy Drew, right? She wants the next hmm. female investigator. I think. Well, because hey, Nancy Drew books are for children, right? They're, they're not expecting thirty year olds to enjoy them. You'd be surprised. Well, some of them do because there's an audience for everything. And, but you know, the big, the crowd they're aiming for is a kid. And if I were like 10 or 12 year old reading this, I would be up in heaven. You know, this yeah. is what a good children comic should be like. And when my, I mean, you can tell from the way that the mm-hmm. investigation works. Like the, the main complaint that I had here was 
Lars, I mean, Goldie as a character is fun. She's interesting. It's she's a bit too perfect. It's not just that she's a bit too perfect. It's that the investigation is basically handed to her. She doesn't, you know, for a detective, she doesn't do much detecting. Mm. All it takes are two lines of dialogue that she hears from different people for her to figure out the entire story of the And it's not this Sherlock Holmes-esque, uh, you know, deduction of yeah. the great mystery because... There's no evidence. There, the only evidence that she finds is like one person mentions pawn shops the other person mentions a lack of money and she's like you stole the jewel and it's like yeah you're right the interesting thing here is really what's what's the bigger mystery because there are hints about bigger mystery involved <laughs> but I, I would say for me the big problem is Goldie himself in which she doesn't have any single problem you know she's she's a great detective and everybody likes her and she's apparently a great drag racer which is still a thing in whenever this <laughs> book like take, that whenever this book takes place Is it, is it the 1960s, 50s? I don't think it's the 50s and 60s because... Do, do we see a computer or an internet there? No, but one of them has a cell phone. Oh, right, right. But it's a, it's, it's a blocky yeah, cell phone from the 90s? Yeah, it's a very retro-feeling book. And, you know, yeah. you can do books that feel retro even though they take place in the present. You know, and Je- Williams yeah, gets Je- a Je- lot Je- of mileage out yeah, of the Yeah, Jam looks very much like an 80s book even though it takes place in modern day. The fas- yeah. fashion-wise, you know, it's fashion very over... Wise? It's very over 80s? the top. Yeah. There's, there's, there's like shaved heads and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Brittany um, Williams yeah. again, great. You know, it's colorful and it's eye popping. And the most important thing, whenever you do a boombox book, it's very readable. You know, there is never any single moment of confusion of who's standing there, of who's doing what. No, no, no. Everything is super clear. One of the things that I really liked is in the very beginning of the story, she finds the missing child. Mm-hmm. And the child's just looking at her with this completely apathetic look on his face. Like, oh, God. Somebody yeah. get me out of here. Yeah, so... <sighs> it, like, Would I follow this book? Probably not. Would I recommend this book to parents of younger children? Will, will I give this to my nephew when he can actually yeah. read? Yes, yes, yeah. you know, immediately. Yeah, this is an excellent book for, for younger readers. Um, I don't know if Boombox has always maintained that philosophy of you know all ages titles for all ages mm-hmm. sometimes they skew lower yes, some, and that's okay some some of their be- their best stuff is usually stuff that appeals to both children and adult on different levels but you know you can have stuff that appeals mostly for children it and is... adults can enjoy it just for what it is which yeah. is you know fun adventure stuff i will say that like if you compare this to something like lumberjanes for example mm. i think the the lack of additional complexity Raises some interesting questions about like where you see this book in sort of like the overall industry because to say that there is still despite all of the discussion and the discourse and everything that's been said, there's still not a lot of books with female leads, not a lot of books that are explicitly trying to African American female leads. create new characters like racial diversity, all of that. And yet, at the same time, even within the milieu of books that are doing that specifically, there's still, in my opinion, and again, I'm saying this is like completely not the person who's directly affected by it, there are still levels of, you know, really good book, mediocre book, not a good book that mm-hmm. need to be acknowledged. There is a temptation to sort of deflect criticism or, or be... kinder towards Goldie Vance because no. it's not 
you know, because Larson, because but. Larson is going for something that we don't have a lot. Of, I don't because it's still I don't the, I don't think it needs that because you know no. the criticism. I think most of the criticism will be what we're saying, which is to say it's it's a children's book aimed for children, and you know it's perfectly fine. It's not a criticism saying it appeals to its target audience. I am not its target audience. That's not a criticism. That's it's like we said the about We Hate is, Fairyland, which is to say, yeah. it's perfectly fine for what it is. What it is is not for us. The question is whether or not it's intentional in this case, and I don't know. I think, I think Larson. It, I think it is because Larson can aim for a very adult audience, and she mm-hmm. can and she can aim for a very young audience, and she can aim in between. Hopefully, when she writes Bad Girl, right? Which I think will be interesting to see. So I don't think there's a criticism, and you know what? I like the fact that there's a young female African American protagonist, and there is never—it's not a big deal. It's not a thing. It's—it's it's just and it that's who be she, a thing. Yeah, that's who she is. Because if you make it into a big deal, then the whole issue, the whole idea of gold events, the title becomes oh, well, it's an African American child, women political protagonist. correctness, blah blah blah. blah, blah. Nobody cares. No. Just well, <sighs> idiots care. Idiots care, but yeah. you know we don't care what they think. We have two female leads in the Star Wars movies. Too much. The, the Too heavens much. will shake. Well, I mean, listen, Leia and Rey hug at one point. They're not just two female characters; they're in physical proximity. What will we do? It's like antimatter and more antimatter, no! and we are the audiences matter. And no, no, no. So you know what? I I do though. No. Mm, Goldie Vance. See, I do see this as having the potential to continue beyond the four-issue miniseries. Right? I don't know. This could definitely be like a series of graphic novels or young adult novels. Yeah, that's, again, that's what Boom does. You see, you but, you publish it as a mini. You see if it succeeds, and if it is, you extend it. But something that we've always said mm-hmm. is that the greatest strength, like the strength of the greatest Boom books, mm-hmm. has always been the ability through complexity of storytelling, right? Yeah. To appeal to all ages now, in the truest sense of I the word. I think, again, the Baker Street Peculiars was better, the first issue at least, because I, I, I'm more interested in the Sherlock Holmes mythos than whatever the Nancy Drew-esque stuff that she's trying to do here, mm-hmm. and B, there are more interesting mysteries going on there. Yeah. Because in the first issue, immediately, you had like two twists towards the end and the hint of at least two larger mysteries mm-hmm. without knowing the stuff that we knew by reading solicitations. And here it's just... It's like you said when we've mentioned it in the previews months ago. It's like, it looks very, it looks like what it is. And what yeah. it is is what it is. And while it could work, it's not as immediately charming as say, as say, Bendette. Oh. Which is also, oh. now Bendette is also a very straightforward, you know, she's a thief and she's yeah. stealing stuff and that's what it is. And she's also, she's an heroine without any flaws, right? Bendette is perfect. Well, her problem is. Well, she's a bit, a bit of an ego problem. She, well, but no, she's, but she's, she's correct. She's oblivious. Of, yeah. Like, what what happens in Bendette, and that's actually a perfect mm. counterpoint to Goldie Vance now that I think mm. about it, is that like, you know, when you think of her as a person, then the 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 sticking point there is always like she has this guy following her around who is completely in love with her, right? Her her mm. her best friend. And she has no idea. She's completely uh, I, th- I think she knows out having adventures. Or she knows and she's just teasing him yeah. because she doesn't want to ruin their friendship. Yeah. But it's like that dynamic but but that doesn't exist here. yeah she has too she has a huge ego and she can cash most of the checks but not all of them well gold events apparently can cash all of the checks gold without event, a problem it, and that's the thing if she were shown to be skilled mm-hmm. as a detective in the way that veronica mars did in that you know she takes the evidence and she goes over it and she looks at this and she takes pictures of it like doing the work of a detective 
Then you could at least say, you know what? When she reaches a point where she finds the missing jewel or whatever, and she figures the whole case out, you can say, okay, she put in the work. Here, Larson is taking sort of a shortcut by saying that, you know, the solution just pretty much presents itself or mm. drops in her lap. And if that's the kind of detective she is, then it's inherently not interesting because you just assume that this larger mystery of what is this jewel really about and, and who is this person who disappeared? She's mm. not going to, she, she has not been shown to have the tools to be a proper investigator. And say what you will. I mean, listen, the Nancy Drew stuff has been in publication since what? The 60s? I don't know. I never read a single Nancy Drew mystery. I read it in like grade school from as far back as I can remember. And I could be completely off base about this. But at the very least, you know, Nancy Drew wasn't Sherlock Holmes. But she at least had like clues that she would look at and consider and sometimes make wrong assumptions and like... You always had those cliffhangers of, you know, oh, no, Nancy Drew is in, like, mortal peril or whatever. She's going to escape by the end of the next chapter. Okay. But it, it was like that. But, like, she could make mistakes. Goldie doesn't make a single mistake in this entire issue. She doesn't make a wrong assumption about any of the information that's given to her. Mm. And it's like, even Sherlock Holmes was fallible. Well, in, in, to his, some extent. in his later adventures. In his yeah. first few adventures, he was, you know... Scandal in Bohemia. Well, it took some time for Scandal in Bohemia to arrive. Sure, but that wasn't the end of his career. Mm. Like, you know, like, even he was... He had, like, flaws. Here... And I, I don't know if that's because Larson knows that she's writing for Boombox, and maybe the temptation there is if you are targeting this book at younger readers and not anyone else then you don't feel like you need to add that layer of... Or probably we'll see more of it in the following issues. The problem is, is the first issue strong enough? Not to me. Mm. It's strong, not strong enough for me at this time and, you know, yeah. and, and, my, and my age. You know, send it in a time machine for young Tom and we'll see what he thinks. Sure. I mean, because... Yeah. And he would be shocked because young Tom did not, did not have a time machine and did not read English And it's like, English of all the things comics. you could have sent me from the future, you're sending me Goldie Vance? You're not what? sending me like... Trump wins? Trump is a president? What? You oh, future madman? That's a plot to Terminator 6. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> House on. of Trump. Moving on to our last number one. House of Pens. Yes, this is by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Ian Bertram from Dark Horse. And coloring by Dave Stewart, which is important to, re- yes. to mention because is there a better colorist than Dave Stewart? Is there, really? Jordi Belair? I f- she's, she has more volume, but I don't think she's as good. She's close, but... Better colorist than Dave Stewart. <sighs> Who's the colorist on Batgirl? With the Batstar? Uh... I don't know. Uh, well, there's... Uh, it what could is... have been Stewart. Mm. It could... No, no, I no. don't think it's Dave Stewart. Was it? Anyway, Dave Stewart is a great colorist. We should always mention when Dave Stewart colors something because his colors add everything and anything to anything he touches. That is true. So the actual story is based on an historical uh, fact Mm -hmm. in which the Winchester house, the house of the family Winchester, creators of the very famous rebooting rifle, Mm -hmm. was apparently haunted or at least believed by its uh, tenants to be haunted. And the lady Winchester, Sarah Winchester, hires workers to pretty much build build a house continuously, expand it day and night in never-ending shifts without any, you know, rhyme or reason to how exactly this thing is meant to be. Well, she clearly knows. She has, like, well, designs. Yeah. Well, plans. yeah. In real life, apparently, you know, the house was so big and unwieldy that people got lost in it. It was like the Pentagon. Yeah. 
And uh, towards the end of the issue, we have this arrival of a mysterious stranger who was involved in some very violent things. Yes. So, House of Penance. I got nothing for you. Mm. This issue read to me like incoherent rambling that I have not seen in a very long time. Really? I could not make heads or tails of the plot. Because we just did a weird Western last episode. I... That made more sense than this, I'll be honest. What? I, and I, and no. you, you heard me complaining about Blackjack Ketchum and how I had... Oh, no this is a lot on. better than Blackjack this Ketchum. This was so much worse because the whole issue is about Lady Winchester having her mad ramblings and close-ups of her eye over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And nothing makes any sense. I don't know what the plot is here. I don't know what any of the other characters are about. There's a scene in which all of a sudden racism comes into the fore because it's immediately after the Civil War. To prove that one of the characters is better than the others because he's not a racist. Sure. And then, you know, she she buries her husband and son and then again another close-up of her eye and... The I race, can't reconstruct uh, the sequence I, okay, of Okay, okay, see, I... direct the a Cthulhu thing? No, I don't know. It's a Dark Horse, so obviously they're a horror... Dark Horse is pretty much the horror company right now. That's their deal. Uh, it's, look, if they wanted to find themselves in opposition to Image, that is as good an identity mm-hmm. as they could possibly get. Now, Be the horror I company. kind of enjoy this issue, but it is very much a question of atmosphere. Uh, the big, the big... The MVP of the issue is the art team. It's Ian Bertram and Dave Stewart who do... Yeah amazingly atmospheric and character work. Everything is so damn creepy and starling at the same time. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's a beautiful book to look at and I would imagine it's it's going to be a beautiful hardcover one day. But the story-wise... Is it an ongoing or a miniseries? I think it's a mini. Okay. Well, uh, I don't see how you extend this story too much. At the rate this is rambling, it could go on Yeah, here's the thing. Issues. Because the plot is very much just... Here's the house, it's strange, here's the lady of the house, she's even stranger, and here's this guy who was a very violent criminal, and what's his, how much, how is his violence going to connect the house itself? And again, the plot is just, it's not enough to go on from the first issue. It's the dialogue, it, it, she's constantly talking to herself and making and Okay, see, see, I, I get okay, this. Okay, she's crazy. Yeah, I what get else? this, but you know, advance, move a bit faster, because you're, if this was a graphic novel, fine, you know, this could have been the 20 opening pages of a graphic novel, just setting up the scene. But if you're doing it as a monthly, mm-hmm. as we've said before, you know, give us a reason to come back for issue two. Yeah. The reason here is just, oh, do you like the atmosphere? Yeah. Do you like the art? Yes. But the plot? It's just not there. The story, nothing. the story behind this is super interesting. And now I want to read a nonfiction book about the, the House of yeah. Winchester because it's a great, you know, it's a great anecdote. But as a plot for an issue, I don't know anything about the lady of the house besides that she's crazy. I don't know anything about. And they're not subtle about the yeah, fact that she's And crazy. I don't know anything about the traveler behind the fact that he's a mysterious and violent guy. And I. And has like one moment where he's like, oh, I shot a kid. Yeah. And the racism thing is annoying because it's the laziest way of establishing who's good and who's bad because you have one guy who's against African Americans who was from this, for the South in the Civil War and we have one guy who's like, I don't care about your racism so we know he's the good guy. And they're also... It's I mean, a very he, lazy way to establish... And that whole scene is taking place between two characters who are inconsequential. Like, they have no... Well, I assume they will be of consequence later but in this issue, yeah. No, like in the context mm. of this specific issue, it's like, uh, it just happens and she's like, get back to work. And they go back to work. Why are these people obeying her mm. is unclear to me. Well, like, she pays she's them. She's paying them. Yes, that's a good enough reason. She's paying them, 
but like what how why she has this money from well her family is her rich. family is rich yeah. and it's like, okay but she's also clearly unwell well so you know if somebody offers you money at the time you take it right even today but again the big issue is that there is no issue it's all about mood and mood and mood and it's fine a series of quick cuts yeah it's well not very quick <laughs> it's fine as it is for an opening chapter it's not great way to make me want to read the following issues I might read this as a hardcover because again art spectacular you know Bertram and Stuart great team yeah it looks great and it might work once we did in one sitting but if you're asking me should I come back for issue two? I don't think so. I'm not. No. Sorry. That's disappointing. Yeah. Still, you know, good. there's a lot to like here, but not enough. I mean, I'll say this much. The nice thing about House of Penance, it's like generally speaking, because mm-hmm. you said it, and I think you're absolutely right. If Dark Horse is doubling down on their horror content to the extent that that is how they want to be identified... Mm-hmm. And that is a platform that they will allow creators like Peter J. Tomasi to just stop by and be like, yeah, because Tomasi go. has been doing Yeoman's work, you know, in a lower tier or tier bad titles. I don't yeah. think he's done anything personal since what was it, The Light Brigade, ten years ago. Even then, that was like, yeah. people really like The Light Brigade. I never saw the appeal, but people Me really, either. really like it. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like. That would be one way for them to compete in today's market. Because mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge, Image and, and Boom may occasionally have horror titles, but they tend to be short-lived. Yeah. So if and IDW now buys up all the licenses, so, you know, it's not yeah. that. And Marvel has Star so Wars. So if you want, to, you want to do original horror, go right ahead. And again, Dark Horse has a lot of great stuff. You know, Dark yeah. Horse has The Goon. They have uh, Yusagi Ujimbo. They, you know... Okay, that's too... Well, no, but like, they have the Hellboy verse... Are... These are like the core flagship titles that are presumably keeping them afloat while other creators show up for these one-off projects like this one right Mm -hmm. here. Um, But I would definitely want to see them do more of it. Not more of House of Penance specifically because that did not work for me. Again, it might work as as a limited thing. It doesn't work if you just treat it as, oh, this is an ongoing. Yeah. Moving along to the main course, yeah. we have a trade paperback today. That An Tom original graphic novel. Well, I haven't recommended it. I chose. Chose it. I haven't read it before we decided. Oh, well, neither like, did I, so no. that worked. Oh, out. you haven't read it at all. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I read it for the podcast, but I hadn't read it previously, yeah, this, even though I had heard about it. Yeah. Because, um, because Image doesn't do a lot of graphic novels. No. And this was an Image graphic novel, an Image launch. I think based on a success in Kickstarter, like uh, Sex Castle. Oh. Which was originally a Kickstarter and then became uh That would explain Then a got lot. printed. Well okay. I don't I'm not sure. So anyway, this is a Rattler written by Jason McNamara, art by Greg Hinkle. And the story here is that we have Stephen Thorne, who's a man whose wife ten years ago was basically kidnapped when their car jammed in the middle of a dark road. Mm. Scary thing. And after that he became a campaigner for the victim rights, which is basically an anti prison reform campaigner. As far as he's concerned, the place of uh, inmates is in prison forever or in death row for a very short time. And whenever one comes out, he immediately launches anything, a campaign to stop him from getting a job, getting a work, getting a home, Mm -hmm. you know, doing doing everything in his power to send these people back into prison. 
Under the auspices that one of them might have been the one who kidnapped his fiance. Yeah, or that he, you know, in public faces that he wants to stop people from suffering what he suffered. Yeah. But, uh, as time goes on, he gets very mentally unhinged, mostly, you know, encouraged by people not stopping him, and he starts to hear his wife's voices from all sorts of odd places, and when his long-time sick father died, he launched in a campaign of crazy to convinced that he hears voices guiding him for his wife. Aunt Hot on his trail is his, well, not former, she's still his assistant technically. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Bridget. Bridget, right. And one or of her. Chantal. One, one of her, her and someone else from the foundation and also a policeman because now, uh, Stefan is suspect for murder. Suspect. He did it. Well, yeah, he's suspect. He did yeah. it. We saw him <laughs> doing it. So that's a strange one. It is. I did not like it at all. At all? At all. Oh. I'll tell you why. My problem here is that it starts off with a solid premise, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, it starts off with a premise that, according to McNamara, is based in true life. He has a letter at the very end of the novel where he's describing basically the situation happened to him. Only the wife only that, got out. No, well, no, the, the, the person who was doing the abduction uh, was towing their car. He used rope, and the rope snapped, so he drove off. Mm-hmm. And like the the starting point for this graphic novel, according to McNamara, is had he used chain, we'd be telling a different story now. So up until that point, like when you're dealing with the after the trauma and the after effects and everything that happened and what he became because of that, fine. It all goes pear shaped. When you, two things happen. First of all, you introduce the supposed supernatural element here of after 10 years of presumably nothing, right? Because he, he's been working on this book. He's been advocating. If he's insane, if he, if he's a psychopath, he's doing a very good job at pretending to be a sane person. Right. Until something knocks him over the edge. The death of his father. The death, not, not even the death of his father. It's the fact that his father dies and then he is convinced that he hears his wife's voice coming from his father's corpse. That's the first, and that this is never explained. No, because he's, he's crazy. He's crazy, and yet this voice tells him things that turns out to be true, that he could not have known. Some of them are true. Some of them are, like, sort of true if you, you know, squint your eyes a bit. We're not going to spoil the ending, but, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that... It turns out that, like, he claims, like, his justification for everything that he does is that his wife's voice is guiding him through these dead bodies Mm -hmm. to where she's being held, which he did not know. He had no idea where she was. He does find her. So... The suggestion seems to be that there's... You're right in saying I think that the original premise is more interesting than the actual thriller there. It turns into a third of the way through. That's the second thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the prisoners that he... That was... Hounds. That he basically hounds, yes. Exactly. Shows up at his apartment with a a gun. Mm -hmm. A fight breaks out. Stephen kills the... The, For, inmate, well, the, the former, former convict. Inmate, yeah. Okay. This sets him off on a path that sees him with a higher body count than most horror films today. Hmm. And I don't understand what the hell is going on at that point. Because it turns into big man plans. 
That's exactly what I thought. You see, I'm telling you, great minds think alike. <laughs> see, but I really like Big we Man Plans. We work on this podcast really, together for a reason. I really like Big Man Plans. We, you can find it episodes. Yeah, but, but this is the same problem, mm. right? Like you, you start off by putting this person in a position of sympathy because something happened to him, right? Something happened to someone and that you, he loved and he couldn't do anything about and, it. But here's the thing. The interesting thing about the first, the first third of the book is that despite our sympathies being with him, we are not encouraged to think that he's right regarding his ideas about prisoners because he's obviously, you know, people saying, well, you're obviously using your wife's kidnapping to leverage it. You're, you're trying to become a celebrity and you are abusing these people. You are basically hounding these people and giving them no choice but to become criminals again. But the person who makes that argument turns out to be morally suspect as well. Well, so yeah, like, but it doesn't. The they, fact that somebody that com- somebody's morally suspect is making the argument doesn't make the argument incorrect. No, but it does raise the question of like, you know, do you actually? Because you're presenting this as if it's back to the Black Panther thing. Of, yeah, yeah. Can you, if you put in a fiction book a more a morally correct argument in a dubious character mouth, does the argument itself become? Vis-a-vis. It's not just morally dubious. It's that the person who makes this point has a vested interest in making mm. that point. It's like the, it's self-interest to say, you know, you're victimizing these people and like you you are driving them towards a life of crime. I again. think I think the creators do enough to present to present him as incorrect in his assumptions. Up and but then at some point, what mm. he believes becomes completely immaterial because he yeah. embarks on this rampage of like. It's somehow he seven, manages to... It's like a 70s Gorn movie. Kind it's... And again, I don't know with, what it is. And again, with Big Man Plan, say what you will, you you knew what you were getting into because the book probably... I didn't. Itself, well, it, from issue one, it was a very violent, over-the-top murder yeah. book. Here this it is sort like, of pops up in this, the middle. This is just... It starts off so interesting and then it goes into a completely different and not as interesting thing. Now, I kind of like ultra-violent uh, crime stories, so I'm fine with it, but it... It loses its interest, right? You had this very great discussion going on here regarding victims' rights versus criminals' rights. And at what point do we start punishing people and start helping them to reform? And is reform even a thing that's possible? You know, but the book, but the book at a certain point stopped caring about it and becomes this one-man quest of crazy. They stop caring about it at the specific point where this former convict vic- visits him with a gun. Mm. Steven manages to get the gun. Points it, pulls the trigger. It turns out to be a water gun. He did not know that it was a water gun. Yeah. He would have shot this guy in the head. And then as soon as he ends up dead, you know, you're talking about like the police officer who's investigating the murder. It's lip service. Nothing ever actually comes of it. The fact that he's a murder suspect means nothing. Murder suspect. Like he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Means absolutely nothing. Has no significance because he is off on his quest chasing after his, the, his voice is... Um, the voice is in his head. His wife's spirit voice, mm-hmm. as it were, right? <sighs> They're not even talking about... like the, the discussion of criminality ends up being completely set aside. He stumbles onto this pair that immediately capture him and, and decide to do a snuff film with him for no reason at all. That just seems to be the thing that they do, right? It's like the... the um, the creeps in Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. that uh, kidnap, the gimp. 
Yeah, the game. Just because. Not, like, you don't have any reason. And then, like, decapitated heads are flying everywhere. You can sort of, you can, if you want to, you can read it as, you know, his subconscious guide him into these horrible places to sort of But his subconscious knows things that he could not know. Well, yeah. It violates, that's that's the problem. Like, Mm -hmm. it, had this been some kind of vague thing and he coincidentally manages to find the people that just happened to have been responsible for the murder of his fiance and it was an accident fine nobody would like that would be plausible as soon as you're getting into like his wife's voice is telling him uh i'm hearing a helicopter and there's water and there's a barn it's like, how do you know these things she has a daughter, uh, the, like the woman who captured me has a daughter. Look out for the daughter. It's like, where could you possibly have gotten well, that Well, you can, you can do this sort of magical realism kind of. But it? that's not what the story is. I, I, magical well, realism, then he's running around like chopping up all these bodies. Yeah, well, he does. <sighs> I don't have a problem with that to the point that you're having. My problem is, again... You could have, it should have been about something else. Like, you've started with this very interesting point. Uh, we've recently. And it's dreadfully unsolved. Yeah, we've recently, you and I talked about Paper Girls. Yeah. Which to me is like, I like, I just finished volume one. And ah, wasn't it great? So here's the thing. I was like. Oh, you didn't like it? I liked it because at this point in his career, Brian K. Vaughn is incapable of writing a bad book. <laughs> but it is like, um, I was so interested in the 1980s investigative mystery stuff that you and once you ran headlong into the science fiction time travel big world changing events I'm like but I really liked it I really liked the other stuff what what go back go back no no you're not going back aren't you and here's like I kind of like what you're doing but I like the thing that you were meant to be doing that you were thinking about doing much more than that mm-hmm. uh Greg Inkle on heart uh Inkle was the bright spot of the otherwise over the top and over admired airboy uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And here it's again you've mentioned Big Man Plans. He's doing a very uh who who drew Big Man Plans? Uh What's the guy it? who did the goon, uh, Eric Powell. Yeah. I'm forgetting the names today. He does a something very uh Eric Powell esque, you know, it's like the bodies are realistic, but the faces and the and the figures are very much like a bit exaggerated, a bit like yeah. mad magazine mid fifties, you know caricature of, you know, the big brutes people. And it's all very, very stark. It's a very good it's a very good looking book, if nothing else. Yeah. I Characters would... are physically distinct. Mm-hmm. You can tell the difference between them when, when they do go into the gore. Mm-hmm. At the very least, Hinkle meets McNamara's demands. Demands, requirements, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, he, the, the art is up to the challenge. Yeah. You know, you have this great scene of, you know, somebody's drowning in black and white. Mm-hmm. Which should be very hard Except to do. Like the splotches of red. water and the lightning in the background, and you know it's a very hard. You know you're doing water in black and white, and people drowning and escaping, and you're actually showing it's not just. He's not just floating in unphysical space. He's actually floating in water. Yeah. So you know, if nothing else, well, you should probably know this already. Greg Ingle is a great artist. It this is this is our thing today, space. right? Great art and books yeah. that are unsatisfying, that yeah. are a bit plot. You that know, it's seems like, to be the theme of the day. We we told writers too much, as you know, it's a writer's medium. You know, the writers in charge, and they're like, they took it the wrong way. You know, give the artist a break. But then, like the end result is, you know, do you recommend the Rattler? Hell no, because uh, the, not not hell no for for me. It's the art's great. I'd love to see Hinkle do something that I can actually read without rolling my eyes. I I didn't roll my eyes. I just. 
thought it could have been more interesting. I and don't then, think... like, on top of everything else, mm-hmm. can we talk about the ending for a second? Because Spoiler territory? Spoiler or... territory. Okay, so we're now going into spoiler for the next okay. 60 seconds. So, he finds his wife. His wife is dead all along. Mm-hmm. Very M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. The epilogue then, with all of his you know supposed enemies killed, they're all taken care of, he's sent to a nut house. He then runs around... Killing people in this nuthouse, unplugging people in the coma ward, smashing people's heads in with um, fire, fire extinguisher. Only and for what? It's the the the, the problem here with McNamara. Like I think it, it all boils down to one thing. He wants. He is trying to depict a character who is a psychopath and a murderer but has no reliable way as a writer to communicate to that that to us as readers without cranking the dial up to 15 like it's not enough that he kills killed all these people ends up in a mental institution practically comatose until spontane- completely spontaneously waking up and deciding first of all I'm going to kill that orderly then I'm going to go into the coma ward and flatline everyone there and just sit in this pile of corpses so my wife can talk to me again. <sighs> Why? What does that give you at the end of the story? It adds nothing. Because you already have a scene earlier where he finds his wife's body. And it is very clear that Elvis has left the building. This guy's elevator does not go to the top floor anymore. Why do you need to double down on that again? For what? It doesn't serve any narrative purpose. It's just telling you that while he's locked up in this mental institution, not only is he not getting any help, but he's still doing this. It's like, it's like Dexter still being a serial killer at the end of the eighth season. Everyone else is dead. He goes off to Pittsburgh or whatever and is still having fun there as a lumberjack who's also killing people. So it's like... I heard you say Lumberjane for a second and I thought that doesn't sound No, right. let's not do serial killer Lumberjane. Ain't nobody got time for that. Well, Dexter's Laboratory meets Lumberjane's good work. That would be very interesting. I feel like Dee Dee would get along great mm. with um, the, the Riley girl. Riley? Yeah. They would have like so much fun together. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I just... What this... This book feels... You know what it feels like? And I, I, I feel like I made this comparison with Big Man Plans as well. Mm-hmm. But this book really, really, really wants to be The Crow. And whenever anybody does The Crow, they always forget the one detail that sets Obar's story apart from all this other crap. Which is, yes, the, the Crow kills people in the story. He kills the people who victimize him and his girlfriend. Yes, that is all true. He also is capable of compassion. You have the scene with the little girl, right? Mm. He is capable of showing mercy. He is capable. He is not indiscriminately running around decapitating people with vibrating knives just for the hell of it and then, you know, hitting people with decapitated heads. There's a cartoonishness to that, you know? Just as there was with Big Man Plans with like the excessive amount of look at how much freaking violence is going on over here. Not even like beyond the scope of realism. This is not Tarantino violence, right? Picking up a severed head and hitting someone with it is something out of like... Robert Rodriguez. 
Pretty much, yeah. Well, Tarantino did, there you go. Tarantino did that scene in Sin City where the head is talking to the guy. But so. that's Miller. That was coming from Miller. That was Tarantino doing Rodriguez doing Miller, which sure. you know Tarantino three times removed. But but this is not a Robert Rodriguez book. Like if it were, then you'd have humor. There's no humor big, here big, either. Big Man Plans was more of a Robert Rodriguez book than, than that this wasn't one. humorous either, though. Oh. Like because when Rodriguez does it, it's always like well when you have when you have a very short person, you know, chopping up people and sh- shoving grenades up asses. It wasn't funny. Well, it, it wasn't funny to the, you. The, no, no, no. The comparison will uh, be there if we're talking about Sin City. Before the decapitation scene, right? There's a scene where, like, everything goes wrong for this cop. The guy who's being played by Benicio Del Toro. Yes. So it's like, first he gets his hand cut off. Then he starts looking for the hand and he can't find it. Then his, what is it? He sits on a shuriken. Shuriken. Yeah, like, uh, mm. Miko throws like one of those blades and he sits on it. And then he's going around looking and he, he finally finds the gun in the hand that's still attached to him and he's like shaking from blood loss. He aims it at Miko, she jams the gun and then it backfires into his brain. It's like, it's physical comedy. It's gruesome as hell, but it's physical comedy. It's funny. Here, like, where would you find laughs in the rap? Well, I doesn't want to be funny. Here's oh, the thing. So like, it's not funny. It's not incisive. It's not realistic. It's not anything. See, I, I, I'm, 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 I don't know. I, what I'm game has. for a very brutal revenge story, which is why I like Big Man Plans. The problem here, and unlike Big Man Plans, it's not a revenge story. He doesn't even know that the people he's attacking were involved in the disaster. It doesn't matter. Life. Revenge is a general idea. Now, Big Man Plans worked for me because it was the epitome and the zenith of angry, angry comics mm. in which the anger was shown through the art and character. And the fact that the plot was basically this guy looks for revenge, he do, he finds it, and it's gruesome, was enough because you didn't need to be complicated or or engaging behind the idea of can you identify with this guy? Yes. Do you want do you want him to watch kill scumbags? Yes. Here Did I don't. You? Well, in Big Man Plans. Here, no, because I don't care about him. Right. And, Big Man Plans had the advantage of like people were making like he was the victim. Uh, people were making fun of him. No, and he, and again, there is such an interesting story here buried under ge- generic revenge story. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes, uh, so is. you know what? If you, if you like violent, you know, violence for violence' sake. If you like gore and blood, you know. This might be for you. Hell no. If you like violence for violence sakes and blood just for the sake of blood, there are so many other books that do it better than this. Well, most of them look like crap. You know, it's the Avatar stuff, you know, no. bought, bought by second-rate artists. There are violent revenge stories that have been published in mainstream comics that do this job and manage to present a, a, a si- somewhat sympathetic, somewhat coherent primary character who you can actually root for to some extent. Not this. Absolutely not this. So, no, I'm I'm going to have to give it two thumbs down. Uh, and on that uh, note, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not giving it a thumbs down, but nor nor do I give it thumbs up. I give it a zero amount of thumbs <laughs> either side. No dessert for them. Yeah, that was really like a depressing. Well, this happens on our next episode. We should <laughs> we should, we should pick better comics. <laughs> They should make better comics. It's not our fault. Mm. No, well, in summary, I'll say like Coates Run could potentially turn out to be good, not at $5 an issue. Goldie Vance, good but not for us. 
mm-hmm. I think it's fair enough to say. House of Penance, I don't even know where to start. Would be good in collected in collected edition. That's assuming, I assume. Assuming you make it through the first yeah. chapter and the Rattler, I I do not have to the Rattler mm, should 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 not amateur should have been better. Just should have been better. The story should have been to the arts level. Yeah, Hinkle yeah. Hinkle was wasted here. Yeah, like he could have been doing something much much more, better. Yeah. So okay. this was the smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapira, and I'm Sean Edry. Until next time, bon appetit.